What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. This is our very special NFL season preview edition of New Generation Sports Talk. So I'm very excited to do this show. We got a lot to talk about. It's been a busy week already in regards to news uh, around the NFL. Of course, we're going to be previewing and going with in-depth analysis throughout the entire league. So this is a show I look forward to doing all year, talking football for pretty much the entire uh, hour and a half and change that we do this show. So it should be a good one. Join me, as always, is my co-host, uh, Kendall Stewart. Now, Kendall, I feel like we'd be remiss to do this show and not talk about uh, what I felt like was a social media, media just slash media period bombshell uh, of Nike deciding to make Colin Kaepernick the front man of their 30th anniversary Just Do It ad campaign. They released an ad yesterday uh, with a picture of him, with his face really, uh, and some quote about uh, something about like, you know, risking it all or believing in something even if it means sacrificing everything. I believe was the exact quote. And then today they released a, a two-minute ad, which is pretty inspirational for me, I would say, um, of a bunch of examples of people you know defying the odds to do the do the what seems like the impossible so nike going all in on kaepernick of course that's gonna be very controversial kind of what do you make of nike's decision and some of the, con- the the conversation we've had um surrounding it i mean obviously it's certainly from nike's perspective uh you know i, I mean i would i mean i don't consider myself you know, a fan. I mean, I, I, I tend to buy a lot of Nike apparel, but I don't consider myself a fan of Nike. So I just look at it from a business perspective, and I mean, I think it makes, I think it makes sense from their standpoint. Uh, they didn't have to do it, but I think at this point, they they said to themselves that this is going to be a positive enough. They obviously they weigh the positive and negatives of this, and there are there are very obvious negatives in latching yourself to Colin Kaepernick, but they. And then when they waited and they felt like the positives would be overwhelming enough to outweigh negatives, and I would say they're probably right. Um, I think the way that it's been received, I mean, people are talking about boycotting Nike. No one's seriously going to boycott Nike. I mean, people will do it. That will last three minutes. Yeah, people will do it, but I mean... I don't think that all Adidas's stock is gonna all of a sudden go way up, and Under Armour stock's gonna go way up uh, because of this. Um, although I do, and it puts pressure on these other brands because we can say, look, Under Armour, they've had issues on in the past with you know Kevin Plank's relationship with Trump and where that is, and you know, Steph Curry's been outspoken about that. And so now where do they stand? Do they come out? They're not going to come out and support Kaepernick, obviously, because he's not their guy. But do they, let's say Trump then embraces Under Armour, for example. What do they do? Do they denounce it? It's, a, it's an interesting conversation. Um, but I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I was, I was kind of getting to the point where you know, I was kind of glad Kaepernick was out of the news for a while. But, you know. We're back to talking about Comcast. So hopefully this means though that Nike feels like he will be signed by a team because there is conversation that maybe that Nike wouldn't do this if they didn't feel some sort of 
that they didn't have some sort of idea that someone they'd be interested in. I don't necessarily agree with that. I, don't I feel like they value as we've seen. As, as we've seen, they've, they're, they're valuing kind of contact earned outside of him being an athlete. So I think that that's a part of this, but just something to keep in mind. I mean, because they're talking about releasing well, there's rumors, conflicting reports about whether or not there will be a contact and a signature shoe. And that would be weird for a guy that isn't on a team. But I don't know. We'll see. It would be the first time that someone who isn't an athlete, though, has a signature shoe. Uh, Jay-Z has tried it. Um, he's the first. Obviously, Kanye West. Is. Kanye West, obviously. Uh, they've been mostly musicians, I realize. I was about to say 50 Cent, I believe, had a shoe at one Pharrell. time. Pharrell. Pharrell. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing Drake was going to have something. I don't know if it was going to be a shoe or something with... Uh, with Adidas before, before I guess the whole thing blew up with Pusha T and Yay. Um, no, I think that for me, I don't. I don't think that this has anything to do with like Kaepernick being closer to signing with anyone. I, the season's about to start. I don't. There, there's no inclination that now all of a sudden someone's looking to add him to a roster. So I don't that, think that has anything to do with it. Uh, Darren Ravel made it sound as if they kind of have had him on their roster, so to speak, for a long time, and now this is them just finally utilizing him. There's other reports saying that this is actually under a new deal he signed with Nike, that other uh, apparel companies were ready to pounce uh, once his contract expired with Nike. So some confusion. You talked about the possible shoe line uh, apparently being paid like a top-tier NFL star. And to me, I do uh, applaud Nike for taking a stance against racism which is with the stance that Kaepernick has stood for the entire time I think that is important is there a part of me that feels like that message I don't want to say gets perverted is a strong word but does it get somewhat muddied when it's uh in the corporation are involved yes I don't think that that's irrational to say I have no issue with Kaepernick signing deal because i also feel like the people that are trying to say oh well, now he's proven to be a phony because he took nike money I'm, i mean anyone who is trying to make any kind of change you would think that you're going to need funds to get that done uh, if, if kaepernick's real goal is to continue to uh i guess you know continue to, to, to raise awareness about police brutality and racial inequality well he can do that as someone who is no longer employed and making funds, but I'm guaranteeing you that if he had millions of dollars, it'd be a lot easier for him to do the things he wants to do. So the idea that because he's, uh, you know, putting his brand, putting his name behind a brand means that it's any less, uh, his message is any less sincere, I think is completely ridiculous. Um, I do question Nike's sincerity a little bit because like you said obviously they weighed the numbers they they did all the calculations and came to the conclusion that you know what the game yeah, have, the game that we'll have by signing Kaepernick and putting him on this brand is far more uh than what we will lose by letting him go somewhere else so that should say speak volumes to maybe where we are in this country I know there's a lot of obviously the uh, uh division and a lot of people are very upset with Kaepernick and upset with the players that have been kneeling, but perhaps that does speak a little bit. People who are smart feel like they can make money off of what he stands for. 
Um, it's the right stance. So that's why I can't go too crazy about Nike wanting to be involved. But again, like I said, anytime there's a corporation involved, there's always a little. It gets a little more murkier for me. But I, I applaud Nike. I thought the the ad was really great. Uh, the 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 um the ad that they put out with not just his face, but the other faces, the other player that Shaquem uh, Griffin. He's one of the athletes part of this uh, thing. Serena Williams is one of the athletes part of it. Odell Beckham is. And, and then, of course, again, the two-minute after they put out that was great. So we'll see how this goes. This is going to be uh, – Kendall says that, you know, he was hoping he didn't have to talk about Kaepernick. I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon. Kendall. I think he's not going away. And No, and, and, and this was intentional uh, for having to come out right before games. Absolutely. And the, the ad's going to play during the game tomorrow. We know we're doing the show yeah. on Wednesday for those wondering. Um yeah, the, 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 so if you if you listen to this podcast, you've already seen the ad on Thursday. If you've seen it, you're listening to this podcast on Friday or late Thursday night. It's playing during the game, so it's going to be aired. I wonder how this affects the relationship with Nike and the NFL because I believe their contract is coming up. Is it coming up? Should I feel like that re- Nike re- deal was recent. I mean, it was yeah, it was recent, but it was yeah. only like a four year deal, something okay. like that. So um, whether or not the NFL reacts with Nike, something I will. Be watching very closely. Part of me wonders if Nike even cares. Yeah, conspiracy EJ just popped up because you raised an interesting point, and this is the last thing I want to say on this before we finally get to the NFL football stuff. Conspiracy EJ wonders if perhaps the NFL, even Nike, has seen uh, the decline in popularity in the NFL and seen Kaepernick's and the possibility, the profitable possibility of. Uh, aligning with him and feels like risking a relationship with the NFL is no longer that big a deal. Yeah. Conspiracy theory EJ, conspiracy theory EJ wonders if maybe they feel like if the NFL cuts us loose, well, it doesn't really matter. This NBA bag is a lot more uh, secure. No, it's a lot more, more secure. And has, lot, has, a much, has a much more, uh, has, a, has a much more lifespan. Like, you know, as as was more uh staying power for us. And let's I'm sure be honest, I'm sure they don't want to like just give up the NFL. But they paid a pretty penny to cut that deal. Maybe they're not afraid to say, Oh, well, we walked away from it. Oh, oh well. Maybe the NFL has done nearly as much deal was when they made the deal, but they probably saving billions of dollars. Yeah. And that can be put into a lot of things, including more NBA resources. Exactly. So that's that's been one of the driving forces for Nike. I mean, it's always been a driving force for Nike since Michael Jordan has been, you know, basketball shoes. But because putting that joint right in, on opening night, Thursday night, when everyone's watching NFL football, putting that ad right there. I mean, you 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 you're that is you're an adversarial thing to do. That is not something you do with a business partner. And apparently NFL had no idea about this. So, so to me, they're, they're, they're making their presence felt. I would I would be conspiracy EJ. I don't know what I would say. Conspiracy EJ would be shocked that if the NFL and Nike are, again, partners after this contract is up because of this stunt. And it is a stunt. I mean, you could, you, know, you could say, I'm not saying that it makes it, again, any less good, but this is obviously a, a they, this is a warning shot to the NFL and to, the NFL owners. So we'll see how they manage that. Um, if there's any corporation who can kind of survive 
any kind of blowback, this is probably the one in America. You know? I mean, there, yeah. there's very few that I feel like are so tried and true that, like, they could almost do... I don't want to say almost do anything that's scary, but they could they could walk fine lines and still be number one. Nike is so far ahead in terms of apparel, not just in the United States but in the world. That the idea that someone could in in the recent future usurp them is asinine. As someone who's recently done studies on studies this for various articles I've written, so I don't know. Um, the Kaepernick stuff is interesting. We'll see how that stuff plays out. I want to talk about uh, some of the big news that happened this week and what is, again, our NFL preview show. Kendall, Khalil Max finally on a new team. So that situation has been a mess. He's been holding out all this time. Finally, the Raiders decided after uh, pretty much holding their ground and, and not wanting to give him a lot of guaranteed money in a long-term contract, they decided to trade him in Chicago. In return, they received two first-round picks in 2018 and 2019. They will receive a third-round pick in 2020 and a sixth-round pick in 2019. Mac also then agreed to a six-year, $150 million contract with the Bears. Uh, that includes $90 million in guaranteed money, $60 million in a signing bonus. That's a lot of bread, Kendall. Uh, who won this deal? It's tough. Um, generally, the age-old adage is that um, the guy, the team that gets the best player, won the deal. Obviously, the guy's best player in this case is the Chicago Bears, and the the, the Oakland Raiders have been dragged through the mud for this trade, EJ. But I do think a little excessive. You know, I think people have been. Clowning John Gruden, saying it's a mess, saying he doesn't know what he's doing. And while I think that, well, I'll start by saying this. I don't blame them for trading Khalil Mack. I don't trade them. I, I don't blame them for getting to, for wanting to get two first-round picks back for Khalil Mack. I think that's good value. Um, I also don't blame Chicago Bears for going out and getting Khalil Mack because what are those two first-round picks going to do for a team that feels like they're already on the upswing, they've been bad for five years, and now want to start trying to win games? So I understand that point of view as well. But what I don't get is the the Raiders feeling like they have to then go out and give up like a fifth-round pick to get A.J. McCarron. Um, or give up, I believe, what they have, a fourth-round pick in this trade? just to get the two first-round picks, um, or maybe a third-rounder. But regardless, like, I do feel like the Raiders they gave up a, second, a lot. They gave a second-round pick in 2020. They gave up a second-round pick, right? Right. That, I mean, that's that seemed bizarre, because I'm giving you my best play. I understand we're getting two first-round picks back, but if you don't want Khalil Mack, you don't need to have Khalil Mack. But I'm not giving you a second-round pick. That almost outweighs the first round pick from getting back because look, the Bears aren't going to be a playoff team. I don't think this year. Spoiler alert. But maybe they are a playoff team by next year, and then that first round pick isn't really that valuable. It wasn't that much different than the second round pick that you gave up. Now the Bears are like, well, it was worth it. 
we were we were a playoff team. We won ten games. We had the twenty second pick, twenty third pick, and in reality, and we got back from Oakland, who maybe wasn't a playoff team. We got back the forty fifth pick, and at that point, it's absolutely worth it. So, look, that kind of stuff was bizarre. That's where I wonder where were the heads of Reggie McKenzie and John Gruden and Mark Davis and everyone in that race front office. From the Chicago Bears' point of view, again, what do you get from winning six games this year, seven games this year, having the 12th, 13th pick again, and drafting some guy? And what I don't do, it's very early, but what I don't see is a great draft next year. Drafting some guy that might end up holding out like Rokon Smith, or drafting some guy that doesn't change your life. So Khalil Mack, if he's healthy, when he's healthy, which he's been most, if not all, of his career. Played, never missed a is, game so far. Never missed a game, exactly. Is one of the five or six best players in the in the league. So I, you have to go out and get that guy if you can. Um, especially, again, for a team that feels like they can compete. There's a reason why the Jets were also going after Khalil Mack, because I think the Jets and the Bears are, are kind of in similar spots. Um, both with young quarterbacks who they feel could win them games with the right uh, supporting cast and teams that are probably tired of losing. And I think the better they're tired of losing. The only reason I don't feel great about their prospects this year and going forward is that their division is just so tough. They've got, I think, two potential playoff teams. Maybe I mean, they got three potential playoff teams. And I think two teams that could win 12 games next year in Minnesota and Green Bay. So, I mean, I don't think either team feels great about the deal they made, but I don't think either team feels awful about it as well. Although I do, I, I feel worse about Oakland giving up the second-round pick and then usurping that by also cutting Connor Cook and trading trading a fifth-rounder to get A.J. McCarron. Yeah, I, I think I think I kind of, I think he kind of led to where I was going with this. I kind of think this is a bad trade for both teams. I think if I like the trade for either one, I probably would say I like it for the Raiders a little more, honestly. Uh, I'm a little surprised. Well, let me rephrase that. I'm not surprised that the Raiders get this one blow back. Because anytime a great team trades a great player, they're always going to get blow back. No, even if it makes sense to trade the guy. Or even <laughs> in the Knicks standpoint, not to go join the Knicks. Like with Melo, he could be a guy who's not even great anymore. But his name is... his name. Uh, and what he's accomplished has been great. And therefore, uh, because they are trash, like the Knicks or the Raiders, um, the impetus is always just, well, what they did was stupid. Uh, I think that from the Raiders' standpoint, everything they got in this deal made sense. I think where I feel like they struggled a little bit is where I agree. I don't really quite understand why in order to get two first-round picks, you, essentially, they're going to have to move backwards in the 2020 in order to get another first-round pick. It, it's kind of a weird situation when you're giving up a, what's supposed to be a premium pass rusher. I don't know where that came in, but I'll let that slide uh, because I think that when I look at the Chicago Bears, I, Mac's a great player. There's nothing against him. And I think this is going to be the trade. I think this is a great trade in terms of uh, how we view pass rushes moving forward. Because 
for a long time, Kendall, we've been hearing this thing that really, outside of quarterback and then left tackle, the next premium position is pass rusher. Um, that or a shutdown corner. Because the NFL becomes such a uh, a pass happy league that if that the idea that you're gonna be able to um, stop these teams from throwing the ball without any pass rush is just impossible at this point. The Giants were able to win two Super Bowls with mostly mediocre play across the board, but excellent pass rushes. So I think that this is gonna be a great kind of uh, you know, measuring stick or, or, or a great example, exhibit A of okay. How valuable is a premium pass rusher really? Because the Bears are not the kind of team I look at that should be giving up first round picks. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they're a team that I think last year they were a little better than whatever their record was. I think they showed flashes. Their defense I thought actually played pretty well last year. So they're not a, a just an awful team, but they're not a team that's one player away. Like, we're both in agreement. This Bears team with Khalil Mack. I don't see them winning. Uh, if they win more than eight games, I'd be shocked. Uh, if they won six games, I would not be shocked. If they won five games, I wouldn't be shocked. So, on the surface, even with a guy this great, I'm not sure how much this player makes them that much better. So, when you're telling me you're mortgaging two first-round picks in the next two years for him, I get a little nervous about that. Now, he plays a position where you can be very good for a long time. But at the same time, is this one player going to now change the life of the Chicago Bears? My answer will be no. So I can't say the Bears won this trade because I don't think that he makes them a playoff team. To me, if I'm giving up two first-round picks, I need to get a guy who I who is automatically making myself a playoff contender, maybe even a Super Bowl contender. Club Max, awesome, but I don't see that happening for this team. So I can't say they won this trade. They got a very great player. And say, so, okay, well, now they got to amass a bunch of other pieces in order for them to still be good, and it's going to be a lot more difficult when you have no first-round picks in the next two years. Yeah, I, and you make a good point, because I feel like the reason why I, I, I think the Oakland Raiders blowback is a little harsh is because, and look, John Gruden said something that I think his logic was off, um, but I think people have taken it a little too literally, when he says that, and I don't think he explained it very well, but he essentially, and this was, I think, before they traded Matt, but he was talking about during the holdout that, look, the Raiders, their defense was mediocre last year with Matt. Mm -hmm. So essentially, why am I going to go out and pay him X amount of money for us to still be bad defensively? And a lot of people were saying, well, (laughs) good luck. And even me was like, good luck seeing what your defense is going to be like without Khalil Mack. I don't think it will be any better. John, but what I will say is that logically, I think what he's trying to say is, look, my quarterback, they just gave, they had to prioritize Khalil Mack and David Carr. Mm-hmm. I believe those two were in the same draft, yeah. and they prioritized David Carr. So if my quarterback's making, you know, quote-unquote max money in NFL terms, um, then am I going to then play my uh, pass rusher? who will also be making max money, that kind of money, knowing that now we can't really fill the rest of our team out the way it's supposed to be filled out. Now, if I trade Khalil Mack for two rookies, two first-round picks, and now it puts a lot of pressure on your scouting department, on yourself, 
on Reggie McKenzie to make the right picks. But if those picks that are made, if they hit from day one, like New Orleans did, now you have two, two, three, four studs on rookie contracts to go along with uh, David Carr. Now, the odds that whoever you draft is going to be as good as Khalil Mack, extremely, extremely low. But can you get two or three guys that can even play for you? If you can get three, two or three guys that can play and can be starters, like New Orleans got. Now, again, the odds that you can get two rookie of the years, like New Orleans had last year, and three or four rookie starters is also very low. But I think that's the shot that they're taking. But I think they feel like it's it's you're, you're just signing yourself up for losses and being stuck in football purgatory by hitching yourself to Khalil Mack for five, six years, knowing that the team's got holes on both sides of the football that need to be addressed outside of pass rusher. But we need to keep it a buck about Khalil Mack, though, Kendall. He's, we all know he's a great player. But, and I, this is where I kind of understand where John Gruden's coming from. We said it all last year. When they were struggling, we kept saying, where the hell is Khalil Mack? Yeah, <laughs> like, like I love how these these analysts and these people that are are, are running at the Raiders and look, I, I get, I don't know if they handled this all that well, but this idea that you can never trade this guy, the last season, the most of the the criticism that was going on that team, it was going at Khalil Mack. I, all yeah. I'm hearing was, why isn't he more impactful? Why isn't he turning his defense around? The defense was trash last year to start the season. They couldn't stop anyone. And all I heard was, why isn't he more of a factor? Now when they trade him, now it's how do you trade him? That's kind of where I'm coming from with the Bears. Because I look at him now on the Bears, I say, okay, he was just on a team where there were complaints that despite his individual greatness, he can float for weeks at a time. Not one game. He could have three weeks where he looks incredible. But then he'll have three or four weeks where he doesn't get a sack. And it's kind of remarkable that he always still comes up with 10 and a half, 11 and a half, 15 sacks. Because he has these weeks where he's nowhere to be found. Yeah. But I, I, for me, I can't kill the Raiders for trading a, a guy who we already complained that when the going got tough last year, he wasn't enough of an impact. Was that fair? I don't know. But I know one thing. I'm looking at his game log last year. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine games in, he had, what, four and a half sacks? He turned it on late, but the season was over at that point. Nine games in, he had four and a half sacks. His team was already out of playoff contention. Then they lost the rest of their games, even though he was racking up sacks. Yeah. And, my, and that look, doesn't mean Matt can't get better look, and can't start to become a more dominant force consistently. But again, we if we keep him in a buck, we can't blame him for part of what happened last season and then come back this year and say, how could you trade a guy who, who's supposed to change life in your defense when we said he wasn't doing it last year? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think that's where... That's where it came in. Also, you know, people are comparing the way Oakland handled their situation to the way the Rams handled their situation in Aaron Donald. 
And I agree that I think Mac and Donald are in a similar class of player. I think Donald's better. Maybe I'm biased, but I, I would say that most people would say Donald's better. I agree. But regardless, um, I would say that the real difference in these two scenarios, EJ, is that while the Raiders are in the AFC, which is a much easier conference, the Rams are way closer to winning the Super Bowl than the Raiders yeah. are. I mean, the Raiders, they had one great year. Um, they were very impressive. They got close. And then they went right back to who they normally have been over the last decade last year. The Rams, on the other hand, while they also had one great season, are absolutely loaded on both sides of the, on both sides of the ball. And while Aaron Donald would be sacrificing a real shot at making a Super Bowl, where the Raiders could pay Mac and they still nine one team next year, and nobody would be surprised. It'd be like, yeah, it's kind of what they're supposed to do. That kind of goes back so to my idea. Is it really worth it for the Raiders to pay some? They'd be in. in <laughs> there's no luxury tax. They'd be in salary cap hell for five years, trying to pay Carr and Mac uh, twenty-five plus million dollars. Yeah, they can't add. I mean, Amari Cooper is gonna gonna have to get paid at some point, or you gonna let him walk? Right. And like you said, you're not gonna good luck bringing in any other player that you on your team. Now oh, you have two first round picks over the next two years. It's going to be on them to make because you don't just play back. But if you do, this week you turn your first look. I don't think the Raiders will be I think it hurts them for this season. But John Gruden's on a 10 year deal. He's worried still about this season. I think he realized that for the long term, he'd be better off with those two guys. I know you broke up a little bit there at the end, but I agree with you completely. That brings me to my final point in this, Kendall. First of all, you're right about the whole Donald thing. Uh, listen, it's different scenarios. Rams could win a Super Bowl. The idea that they're going to let Donald float in the wind is ridiculous. Compared to the Raiders, who really have, a, a, I think, tough, some tough decisions coming in about, okay, are you a win-now team or are you in ready for rebuild mode? And that brings me to my last point. What this told me, more than anything, was that this John Gruden thing is going to be a very, very long experiment. To me, John Gruden, and maybe we should have known that when he got with that crazy deal that he got, but this idea that the Raiders are ready to eat that money if things don't go well early, that's not happening. This is a Brad Stevens type of situation with the Raiders where they're going to let John Gruden mold the team that he wants, and he's going to be the guy with the ultimate autonomy on this team over star players. I mean, yeah. he's already we know he's over Mac because Mac's out of there. <laughs> So I, I don't know where he he and Carr stand in the hierarchy in terms of the Raiders brass, but they might I think be damn there either. So I, don't think, I, mean, I think he's I think he's more important than Carr. I would say so. But I think I think he loves Carr, so I don't think Carr is going anywhere. John Gruden is the ultimate star of this team. So when you trade a superstar player like that, but you're adding these first round picks, to me they're gonna let John Gruden mold the team that he wants, and let him be the star of this team. I'm not sure if that's a great idea. I would probably say it's not the greatest idea. Because <laughs> uh, I've already talked about, as much as I love Gruden, I think that his track record is a little overrated. Um, But that's the thing that I think we learned very clearly about what is happening in Oakland. And that it is John Gruden is the ultimate star, and that they're going to pave this situation to fit whatever mold he wants his team to fit. 
So anybody that's not a John Gruden guy, they all can go. And that includes, I think that includes Derek Carr. If things don't go well for him, I wouldn't be surprised if they got him out of there too. It's harder, it's different with quarterbacks because as I've said in my long thesis that I've said over and over again, that there are no quarterbacks out there. Right. Teams are unwilling to get rid of quarterbacks because it's, what do you do after that? Like, it's very rare you could become like the Minnesota Vikings where that guy comes available. But even that guy is like average or above average. Yeah, so, yeah. Superstar that. players don't come available, so you're not going to get rid of decent quarterbacks. Um, but I, I mean, this is this Raiders situation is oof, it's it's I can't remember the last time a in the NFL a coach is undoubtedly way more valued than any player on his roster. Cause I can't say that in New England. Really, in sports. Well, in college I mean, basketball, that's the case. I mean, professional. Well, sports, yeah, I mean, like in professional sports. I mean, I mean, it's all for a long time. Uh, in professional sports, that's they probably said honestly. But yeah, you're probably right. It's not doesn't happen other, very often. Uh, you know, I think the Celtics and even the Spurs. I mean, obviously, it's always Duncan, and for a while, Kawhi Leonard maybe Pop did break that mold by <laughs> having them get rid of Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I think but, you could argue it's Pop now. Yeah, and then maybe you could argue it was him last year because <laughs> exactly the standoff yeah. ended with Kawhi not on the team. So yeah. maybe Pop was Kawhi didn't feel like he had the the, the say so to be like I want Pop out of there. No, he just decided all right, I need to go to L.A. and then so yeah, he, I got, go. he got sent up up north of the border. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I can't think of a scenario where that was obvious. No way, Major League Baseball. Like, I mean, the only thing I think of was that maybe at some point with Tom Landry when things got bad, <laughs> which is yeah. kind of ironic. But like in the eighties, like right before it got like really bad when he got fired, but like. During the eighties, when like it was kind of a trash team, but he was Tom Landry. I'm sure like it was him more. It was him over anyone on the team. Um, trying to think in basketball. Basketball is never going to be an example like that. Baseball also. Never I would say Brad Stevens like is the closest guy. Yeah, Brad Stevens is getting close to that thing too. And I think it's what makes that comparison. I mean, apropos that obviously that, that contract. Is, yeah. The contract it, it makes makes the situation. Weird. I mean, the Celtics are in a weird position now, where like, I mean, I mean, nobody, nobody in the Celtics could 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 cross Brad Stevens and not be gone. Like, like I mean, I think Tatum is obviously extremely valuable. But I think Tatum might be the one. He might be the one, the where, but even him is like Tatum is, is a lot of his cachet is that he's a team guy. So then I can't imagine well, yeah, like Brad Stevens. This is all hypotheticals, of course. Um, well, but like Kyrie, I could see Kyrie crossing Brad Stevens, and if that ever happened, he would be gone. He'd be gone. Yeah, yeah, no in a second. Uh, and Kyrie's like a superstar player in the NBA. I mean, that's yeah. He's the only other like that's the only superstar that doesn't have that kind of power right now. Yeah, it's a unique situation uh, in Oakland, and it will be continue to be unique when they move over to Las Las Vegas because John Gruden will be the coach. He's going to be the coach. For no, the absolutely. Let's let's uh before we jump in these divisions, I want to quickly uh talk about the Eagles before we get into the NFC East. So basically, how we're gonna do is we're gonna break down each division. We're gonna give you a winner for each division and our our most intriguing storyline for each division. Each of us, I do want to talk about the Eagles. Kendall, they come into this year as a defending champs, but they come in hobbled. Wentz, Ajayi, and Jeffrey all not playing. Uh, week one, 
We all know the Super Bowl, Super Bowl hangover is a tough thing to overcome for teams. I personally think that it seems to be particularly difficult for teams not accustomed to winning. Teams that like randomly win a Super Bowl out of nowhere or win a championship out of nowhere, cities that haven't won in a long time, to me those seem to be the teams that struggle most to reach the championship level that they reached the year before. So, Kendall, I thought it was interesting. You know, I have some ties to 94WIP Sports Radio in Philly. Shout out to them. My old boss, who I worked for as an intern, Angelo Gataldi, he's been very outspoken in saying that he believes the Eagles have no chance of winning the Super Bowl. And if anyone knows anyone about anything about sports radio in Philadelphia or anything about Angelo Cataldi, that is a very shocking statement for him to say. Uh, someone who is so adamantly uh, in favor and in love with the Eagles to say that they have no chance of winning the Super Bowl. Um, that's like sacrilegious. But I think that does speak to what I think should be reasonable concern about how things are going. Wentz hasn't even practiced, you know, in full contact yet throughout the entire training camp. We all know during the regular season, they really don't do those kind of practices. So is he ever really going to get that experience before he gets thrown out there? We know Jeffrey has the shoulder surgery. Is there a real reason to be concerned about the Eagles, not just trying to repeat, but just trying to make it out of what we know is a beast in the NFC? Um, I mean, concern, I mean, I think their level, I look, I'm obviously, I mean, I'm in the city of Philadelphia right now, and I feel like the concern is that, the concern level is at a zero. Not because I think people think it's a guarantee they'll win a Super Bowl, but I think there's a level of we don't even care what happens, <laughs> because we, we want it. Right. So, I mean, in that regard, I don't know if there's concern among Eagles Nation, but um, should there be concern uh, within the organization? I would say, I mean, I would say so if they plan on repeating. Um, and Ben McAdoo, former coach of the Giants, obviously, uh, he echoed those type of sentiments saying that he doesn't think that this team is wired uh, to repeat. He doesn't think that they're wired to handle success and handle that celebrity and or handle it correctly and that this team might be a flop this year i, I mean i think that's a little harsh because this team still has a lot of the same characters from last year and they're obviously still a very very strong team um i mean i just think the x factor or the the difference is going to be well the most important thing about the team rather would be that carson it's going to be carson wentz versus nick Foles. um how will Foles do coming out of the gate? If and when Wentz comes back, how does he look? Is he the quarterback going forward? Um, these are all questions that you just can't really prepare for. Uh, Foles didn't look great in preseason. Um, obviously, he got hurt at one point, but I there's still a level of skepticism from people in Philadelphia about Nick Foles, from what I can gather. And uh, I don't know if that is warranted or not, but there are still some skeptics. There are still some skeptics that say we need Wentz out there. There's very little skepticism about Carson Wentz and even his return from inju- 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 injury. Because uh, obviously ACL injuries, we've seen guys in the past now uh, come back and be the same guy. 
I mean, I was a Viking fan. I saw what Adrian Peterson did um, in, I want to say it was like 2011. But I saw what Adrian Peterson did coming back from ACL in like eight months and looking like he, looking like a better player than he was before he got hurt. But, I, I, I mean, I definitely feel like there is reason for concern if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Um, because the NFC, the NFC, just like you said, it's a tough challenging, challenging conference where, I mean, the Rams, I think, got better. The Saints got better. Uh, the Vikings, you can argue, got better if you like the upgrade at quarterback. Although I don't know if Cousins can play much better than Keenum did last year. Uh, so a lot of these teams, obviously, the team that 100% got better uh, is the Green Bay Packers, who will be very dangerous now they have Aaron Rodgers. So that's the guy they didn't have to go through last year. So, yeah, I'd be concerned. Uh, yeah, I think we're in agreement here. I mean, I think that there should be uh, a lot of reasons to be concerned. Um, obviously, we talked about the injuries. Um, and you talked about Nick Foles. And that's kind of where I'm going to sit here. Nick Foles had an unbelievable run during his Super Bowl run with the Eagles last year. Nick Foles is a capable quarterback. But I think if we uh, think he's more than just capable, we will be overstating his ability. I think that if Nick Foles, your starting quarterback for an extended period of time, you're in a lot of trouble. If it's talking about two or three games, that's not that bad. But if you're telling me Wentz hasn't even had any kind of contact uh, at all, are we talking about six games? Are we talking about eight games? I mean, how, how when is he going to be ready to, to really have you know the quote-unquote real bullets flying? And that's a longer period of time, and teams have now got over a year, or at least, you know, over the offseason, to see what the Eagles' game plan was with Foles as their quarterback. Because that was the one advantage that the Eagles had during the last postseason that other teams didn't have. Teams had no idea what a Nick Foles team looked like playing for Doug Peterson. Turned out it, it was just Nick Foles in Chip Kelly's system. <laughs> but they didn't know what to, what to expect when, when it was happening, but... That's essentially what Doug Peterson said he did. He transformed the offense to fit very much what Nick Foles was doing when he was playing well in Chip Kelly. But teams figured that out after a offseason. <laughs> the last time uh, Foles played well like that under Chip Kelly. Well, will things be different now that they've been able to now game plan and scheme for Nick Foles for a whole year? Like We've seen in the pre- uh, preseason, he hasn't looked that great. I don't want to put too much on the preseason because, for me, I always feel like if veterans don't look that great, I don't put too much on it because I feel like, A, they're, they're going 50%, and B, they're withholding a lot of scheme. So they might not look great because they're not being put in position to look that great. But with Foles, I think I need to see a little more from him. I need a little more confidence, and I got none from what I saw from him in preseason. So, yeah, I'm concerned about the Eagles. Uh, this was not a team that thought had any chance to be in a struggle for this division because I think the division is terrible. But I, I just would have liked to have had a little more confidence for this, about this team going into uh, talking about the MCs. That being said, Kendall, who do you think is going to uh, – well, before we get to a winner, what do you think is the most intriguing storyline in this division? I think the most intriguing storyline in the MC East has to be the – what you would hope is the, I would say, I mean, for a Giants fan, the resurgence of the New York Giants, because the Giants were 
the obviously the worst team in the NFC last year. Um, there is nothing going for them. Eli Manning was basically two foot out, two, two feet out the door at one point. Um, they had no running game, and their best player and most marketable player in the entire NFL, Odell Beckham, was out receiving any injury. And everything that could have went wrong for the Giants last year did go wrong. But now Eli's back with the full support of ownership. Um, new head coach Pat Shermer, uh, who came from Minnesota and did an excellent job with Case Keenum and that offense last year. Uh, and then uh, didn't see him, I don't think, at all in the preseason, but I don't think I need to go back in the preseason to make sure to know that he's going to be a factor this season. And most excitingly, you're bringing in Saquon Barkley, who's the number two pick in the draft out of Penn State. Uh, we saw how Penn State looked last week without Saquon Barkley. It wasn't great. But uh, if you're a Giants fan, that's what you're most excited for. And if you're watching the NFC East, you're going to be excited to see what does that trio in the in the Giants on in the Giants offense look like, along with guys like Evan Ingram, who should have a much uh, bigger role in the offense this year. Sterling Shepard uh, should have a bigger role in the offense this year, and then and they still have some studs on defense, uh, most notably Landon Collins, Snacks Harrison. Um, so I look, I think the Giants can be dangerous this year, uh, but it will be because of those, some of those big names that I mentioned on the offensive side of the ball. Um, speaking about the Giants, I do feel like the Giants are interesting because so much of what they could do this year, I think, rides on Eli and coaching. Because I, I agree, I think that they've put a lot of the pieces in place that should lead to a much better record than whatever their record was last year. Would they have three wins last year? I got two wins. Uh, yeah. That 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 seemed that would seem to be that would be a shock that if they if they did that again because that was a, a complete mess last year. Um, I'm curious to see what their new defense coordinator going from a three four going to a three four after the Giants have been known to be a four three team pretty much since Bill Parcells left. Uh, that is a drastic change. Um, they've changed some personnel, but a lot of the personnel to me, like a, someone like a Olivier Vernon, still matches the three four or four three. So how is that gonna work out? But to me, I think with Eli, I'm I've, I'm a Jets fan, but I think if I'm talking about who I am a fan individually in the NFL, I've always been a big Eli fan and a supporter. But I said it last year, and I'm going to say it again, Eli looked cooked. He looked rough. <laughs> it is what it is. I, I, I am one of those people who say Eli Manning should be in the Hall of Fame. So that gives you some clarity about what I am saying. With that being said, I know they had off-the-line issues. I know Eric Flowers was a disaster. I, I, I know some of these problems that they had. Of course, um, Odell Beckham going down just made things even worse. But Eli Manning also played terribly throughout the entire year last year. He's not someone who's capable of overcoming a bad offensive line. This is where I bring in coaching. Because last year he showed he was also not good enough to overcome bad coaching. So my question is for Shermer. Are you able to uh, raise Eli's ability? Because you're going to have to bring the best out of him. He's no longer going to be the kind of star player that can cover for other people's deficiencies. Shermer is going to have a, a, a big uh, a big job to do, but he did an excellent job 
obviously last year with the Vikings of uh, with Case Keenum. So I'm, I'm curious to see now Eli Manning is he able to kind of resurrect his career because I have some doubt that Eli can turn back the clock of three or four years ago because I think that's what they need for this team to be competitive. If I'm doing a different storyline to follow, um, to me, I, I'm going to follow the Dallas, just the whole Dallas Cowboys. I, I know it's kind of a cop out, but like, there's so many things to follow. Uh, what's Dak Prescott in year three? Is Dak Prescott more like? I guess if I'm going to say a storyline, that's the one I'm going to choose in terms of the Cowboys. Uh, is Dak Prescott more of who we saw as a rookie? Was he more of who we saw in year two? Because you can say the same about Ezekiel Elliott. You can say the same thing about Zeke. Although Zeke, I think I have a little less concern that he's going to put up numbers. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, the question is, can he stay on the field? But I don't think that anyone thinks that he doesn't have skills. Yeah. Uh, but in the game he played last year. In year two, he well. couldn't, couldn't get on the field. Right. Yeah. And and he and he wasn't as effective as he was in year one. Obviously, he's out of shape. Yeah. Right. Um, but he was still pretty good. But for me, it's Dak Prescott because we all thought Dak Prescott was pretty much Dallas's chosen one that he was going to be the, the the future franchise player for the Cowboys moving forward. There are some people thought he should win MVP. Um, some people thought he should win Rookie of the Year in his rookie season. And last year, we can make all this used to be one about what he went through. But last year, he played mediocre football, and he looked very ordinary. He looked like a fourth-round pick, wherever the hell he was when he was drafted. So the question to me becomes, is Dak more like that guy? Did, did Lee catch up to him and kind of know what he likes to do? Or did Des Bryant falling off a cliff impact him so much that he couldn't overcome something like that? And is someone like uh, uh, you know uh, the guy that signed Watson, is he going to now – is he someone that could that's going to give them way more production? I don't know if Dallas really – did anything this offseason to help Dak in year three. I don't I, I don't know if Watson's that big an upgrade over Bryant to me. Yeah. So I think Dak Prescott's progression this year is gonna be super fascinating to watch because I don't think Dallas did much of anything to help him other than make sure Zeke isn't suspended for the first four games or whatever how many games he was suspended for. I know he played some, then he sat out some it was weird. Uh Kendall, who's a winner in this division? You got the obviously you got the Eagles, you got the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Redskins. Who you got coming out of here? Um, I'm gonna say the Eagles get out of the division. Um, say they get. I, I think 10, 11 wins could win you the division this year. I'm gonna say they're gonna get ten. I think the Giants will be much improved. I think they will more than double their wins, but that's not doesn't take much. Uh, they can get to eight wins this year. Uh, the Cowboys will also be in that seven to eight win range, but and Washington, I don't think anybody cares about Washington. They were, they but, won seven games last year. They have Alex Smith now. I think that's a setback. Um, Cousins, say we won about Cousins, but he was good last year. Um, I don't, I still don't love him. <laughs> I still love him for Minnesota. We'll talk about him, but uh, I, he was good for them last year, and I think. Getting bringing out Smith, they take a step back, uh, and then they start reevaluating the quarterback position for next season. I'm gonna give you a hot take on on the Cousins uh, Smith swap. I think Smith is actually an upgrade on the Cousins because I really? think, I say that because I think Smith knows how to win games. 
and Cousins never really did. Uh, Cousins' winning uh, starting record as a quarterback is 26-30-1. and 31. Smith uh, has been a winner pretty much for the last five or six years. He knows how to... You could say he's... And I don't know if he's even as talented as Kirk Cousins in terms of just being able to spin the rock and get the ball to everybody that he needs to get to. But I just feel like in terms of clutchability, making big plays, making smart plays, keeping his team in it, I think that the team... I think that they'll watch this season. I don't think they're going to win. My pick is the Eagles. I agree. I think they'll get the same wins. But I think Washington fans will watch this season and feel like they got more steady quarterback play than they had with Cousins last season. Two years ago, he almost threw 5,000 yards. I can't say he's going to be – I can't say Smith's going to be that good. But last year, I thought Cousins took a step back. And I think that Al Smith can outplay the Cousins I saw last year for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Good luck with Adrian Peterson in the backfield, man. I, look, I'm going to need it because I just lost uh, McKinnon in my uh, fantasy league. And I drafted, oh, yeah, I forgot you brought I drafted Adrian Peterson way late in the draft. And I never thought I would actually uh, need him. Well, he's a starter. So. Yeah, and he's their starter. So, yo, they got like the they got the ill like 2010, 2011 team. They do, man. Uh, Alex Smith and Adrian Peterson. But, I mean... I'm looking Peter at Alex Smith. Alex Smith is uh, was 50 and 26 in Kansas City. I mean, that's a, oh that, yeah, that's a great record. Yeah, um, great record in San Francisco. At least yeah, in Orlando, Francisco, there. I mean, ended up being kind of 500 because he like lost every game for the first like. He's season. awful. Yeah, he's awful initially. But. Right, but like overall, his record for a career is 88 and 62. I mean, he's showing like, he no take out those first couple of years. I mean, he's gonna lead quarterback in terms of wins. And that's but. really all we care about. We can talk about the 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 QBRs, the QB, the the, the police percentages. We talk, talk, all that stuff looks great for Kirk Cousins, but some reason the win column is is still looking kind of. Kirk mean. Cousins has played on awful teams, whereas Alex Smith. You think Alex played on great teams in Kansas City? Alex Smith has played on loaded teams in both loaded? San Francisco. Loaded. Kansas, Kansas City teams were loaded. Look at Kansas City's roster. I mean, you saw the defense, the guys he's putting out there. You could, maybe, you could make the case Kansas City's defense has been loaded. You cannot make the case. Well, yeah, I'm saying their roster was loaded. Their offense has always been, just like in San Francisco, just like in Kansas City, Allison's led offenses have been pedestrian. But, and, I mean, this is the same guy that's played with Jamal Charles and has played with Kareem Hunt and has played with Jeremy Macklin and played with Tyree Kill and you played with Travis Kelsey. You played with, you name it had a weapons. of, of you just named Jeremy Macklin? I don't care about any of those guys. Travis Kelsey, like, a top, okay, he's one of okay. the top Kel- five tight Kelsey ends of the nice. last ten years. Kelsey's nice. Okay, that's one guy. Jamal Charles was a, was a top five back when Alex Smith got there. Okay. Kareem Hunt was, 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 was arguably a rookie of the year candidate last year. But I feel like you named a bunch of guys, and none of them were... were were playing together in their prime with Alex. My point being, like he all had a guys, bunch of guys, but they all at all the guys you just named, they were his best player for one year, and then my video, they fell like, all those guys are better than anyone Kirk Cousins ever played with in Washington. Uh, I can't name you any guy better than that. We're talking about Pierre Garcon. Yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, it's, <laughs> hey. I who they were here, Matt Jones. I mean, <laughs> they had bad struggles over there, man. Yeah, they they definitely didn't leave much to be desired. Jameson Crowder. Yeah, they did not leave much to be desired in terms of how they uh, made up their 
mean, that's Dan Snyder. <laughs> I mean, that's not Dan Snyder and their their front office. Uh, they have they have a lot to explain to do in terms of the players that they've been bringing in. Um, that's a fair point about their lack of uh, star power, so to speak. Bruce Allen as well. Yeah, Bruce Allen. They they've all done a terrible job. So I get that. I just think that Al Smith. Um, if, they, if if at any point is he if he if at any point if he's more equipped to deal with this, it would be now. And he did have Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, Deshaun Jackson played well under uh, Kirk Cousins. Yeah, so I, I yeah. thought he had nobody. Yeah, he Deshaun might have been the only guy he had, but he had someone. Um, let's talk about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, one thing. Yeah, Alex Jackson. He made him. He made him look like he did with James Winston. Wait, what was that? I, I mean, you probably broke. What? Up. Well, I'm saying if you give, uh, if you would give Alex Smith to Sean Jackson in Kansas City, he would have, he would have zero fifty plus yard catches, which is all Deshaun Jackson can do. I mean, he. he I mean, you see, you see the way Tyree Hill is uh, playing with Pat Mahomes. I mean, look, Tyree Hill looks more explosive, but he had explosive plays under under Kirk Cousins too. It wasn't like all. I mean, excuse me, under Alex Smith, it wasn't all just. Now with Mahomes, I feel like they were all like kick returns and screens. <laughs> now he's actually a vertical passer. <laughs> Who would have known the guy with a four two could be could be uh, valuable in the vertical passing? Look, game. man, I'm always gonna respect Alex Smith. I'm gonna stand up for him. All right, I'm st- I'm always gonna stand up for Alex Smith. <laughs> that guy is is very underappreciated. I think he's gonna play well for the Redskins. Let's move on to the AFC though, Kendall. Um, is there any? Do we even? Do we even need to talk about we both have the Patriots, right? Do we need to even go over No no, we don't need to go over who we think's gonna win. Patriots. But do we have a storyline in the AFC? Right. Let's just get to the storyline, I think, with this, because the Patriots, yeah, they're the best. This division is trash. Um what's your favorite what is your uh storyline you're looking at? Um I imagine you will go with uh the big apple. So I'll for to be different, I'll say how long? How many games does it take for Buffalo to go to Josh Allen? Because look, the Buffalo Bills—they went through preseason, traded AJ McCarron, who I thought was a savvy move to pick up a fifth-round pick for a guy that I mean, just was never going to be their guy. Uh, I mean, should they have? That's always weird. First of all, that a team—I mean, we saw it with the Jets uh, with Teddy Bridgewater, mm-hmm. and we saw it with Buffalo. Now with Agent McCarron, that I mean, they find the guy and they treat him before the guy even gets to play a game. I think I mean, you pick up value. I think that's kind of low key the wave now. Is that these teams are signing guys to like knowing that they can always treat him. good money, but mon- none of it's guaranteed. Um, yeah. So you can either cut or trade the guy if he just doesn't no really work out. Yeah. And they use training camp and mini camp as like a tryout. I mean, what? What is the Jets got? What a third rounder for a third rounder? Yeah, that. that was I mean, that's extremely that's maximum value, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to be kidding me. No I saw that. I was like, year, and they got a third round pick for him. Why didn't Minnesota just bring back Greenwater <laughs> and they get a third rounder for the guy? Um, you got nothing for like, the guy. McCadden playing check chess, and y'all playing checkers. That's why. Okay, we 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 wasted a first round pick on Greenwater and couldn't get anything back, and the Jets had him for a, a, like a week and got a third rounder <laughs> for the guy. But and Buffalo, Buffalo did the same thing, got a fifth round for McCarron. But now they're apparently they're stuck with my guy out of Pittsburgh, Nathan Peterman, at quarterback. Uh, we can go on for like we did last year for hours about how bad Nathan Peterman is. 
but I think we all know at some point, assuming he looks somewhat even, if he's twice the player he was against San Diego, he's still the worst quarterback in the league. So, um, or it was San Diego, I believe. It might have been Carolina. No, whatever it was. Diego. Regardless, it, it was, was San, San Diego. Diego. And uh, so assuming he does look that bad, eventually Josh Allen will be the guy. And when that time comes, uh, it'll be very fascinating because some people argue Josh Allen is worse than Nathan Peterman. Some people argue you can't be worse than Nathan Peterman and that Josh Allen should be the guy from day one. Uh, I think it's more smart that – I think it's smarter that uh, – Peterman becomes the guy now, and then you go to Josh Allen rather than go the jet route and just make Josh Allen the guy from day one because I don't think he's nearly as polished as Sam Darnold is. And I kind of want him to sit back and watch uh, and hopefully learn from the mistakes that Nathan Peterman will make. Uh, I'm I'm not totally out on this Buffalo Bills team, but it's, it's just impossible to win with a quarterback. Uh or win without a quarterback, and Buffalo right now doesn't have one. So I think that's that's the storyline. And they're another team where I feel like the rest of their team is capable of being competitive. I mean, they, they like were they made the playoffs last year, so clearly they can't be that bad. But I mean, I think that says more about the AFC than it does about the Buffalo Bills. Did you see the uh, the Nate Peterman highlight hype tape that? The Bulls put out when they announced that he was going to be the starter. I'm glad I did not. Probably had a lot of interceptions on there. Yo, everyone on Twitter was like, yo, credit the video editor who works for the Buffalo Bills. Who found enough B-roll to put together a one-minute highlight reel of Nate Peterman. Yeah, it didn't even exist. Like, yo, he put together the most preseason... You know, I don't even know some of this stuff was even in the NFL. He <laughs> got his pit highlights. I don't know where this stuff is coming from. I'm going to throw a touchdown. I'm like, this wasn't last season. <laughs> where did this come from? <laughs> you know, that was, a, that was, you know, props to that dude, man. He he He's clearly underpaid because that dude is a wizard. He found one minute of good Nate Peterman heights, Peterman highlights to put together when they announced that he was going to be a starting quarterback. You need to check it out. Anybody who hasn't seen it, you guys got it. It's on their Twitter account, Buffalo Bills Twitter. They put it out maybe two, three days ago. Um, that thing was sad as hell. Uh, as far as in terms of the, the Allen stuff, I mean, I agree that I don't think that Allen should have started immediately. It's sad that someone like Peterman is going to go out there. But I'll tell you what. I, I'm open-minded. If Peterman – I. I I hope Peterman can go out there and look competent. Um, it's not, his, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. The fans and the organization were disrespectful to their starting quarterback, who was the first guy in 17 years to take him to a playoffs game. Um, and Tyrod Taylor. It's not his fault. I know we we put it on him because then he went out there and looked as terrible as he did, but that's not on him. So we're heaping that on him, and it's unfortunate. I don't wish anyone ill will. So. I hope Peterman can turn it around and play pretty well next year. Uh, this year, rather. I He played well in preseason. I'm not going to jump out the window and say, well, now this is my assurance he's going to play great now. Because we all know things are very different once the regular season starts. But uh, but to me, I think that the Nate Peterman thing, uh, 
the only thing is, I think Allen being on the roster, the only thing saving McDermott's job. Because to me, if I mean, if Allen wasn't on the roster and they were going to Peterman and Peterman blew up, which I think is more likely to happen this year, then I McDermott should be fired mid-season. I think he's going to be one of my choices that might get fired in the middle of the season anyway. Uh, but Allen, I think, agree he's a little unpolished. Um, he also looked good in the preseason, but I think he needs some more seasoning. I'd like to see him kind of watch on the sidelines, see the speed of the game from the sidelines before throwing him out there. So I'm fine with what they did with that. It's a little sad to me that McCann couldn't beat Peterman in an open in an open race for the starting spot. I, I have been one who kind of liked McCann, so that's kind of bizarre to me. But I guess it speaks to maybe uh, McCann being way worse than I imagined. Uh, but obviously, storyline I'm going with in the AFC East is, of course, uh, 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 Broadway Sam, uh, Sam Darnold. Um, how quickly will he take the lead by storm if he takes it by storm this year? Uh, can he immediately bring optimism to a Jets fan base that has been lacking that pretty much since they were eliminated in the cold and snow in Pittsburgh in the uh, AFC Championship game in 2010? Because there's been zero excitement about this team since that moment. And there is excitement around the team now. My question is, will it be sustained throughout the course of this season? Donalds look very good. I think that they've coached him very well. Uh, I think he's going to play well this year. I don't think the Jets are going to win that many games. I just hope that they find a way eventually to put him around some real talent. Because... Ironically, I think in the preseason, he made some of those guys way better than they are. It's crazy that a rookie was doing that, but that's pretty much what was happening. And in the regular season, that's going to be a lot more difficult to do. So they're going to need to surround him with some real pieces. I think the Jets are in a position to do that with the way they've matched the salary cap situation over there. So that's going to be exciting. But I think uh, Sam Darnold has shown in the preseason that he's the real deal, that he's going to be a, 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 a factor in the AFC moving forward, and I'm excited to see what he does. Yeah, no, I mean, Sam Darnold is, I mean, it's going to be extremely fascinating to watch his development. He's going to be the most interesting quarterback in his draft class to follow. I mean, won't start from day one. Uh, but I guess the thing with him is, like you said, you you have to start him because he he was their best quarterback clearly in the preseason, but it just depends on how confident do you feel in Sam Darnold that one you won't wreck his confidence and that two can he like you said make these guys better enough to where the Jets can be to where the Jets can be competitive this year because I mean there are quarterbacks I mean look at Tom Brady but really sometimes it doesn't matter who he's got on the team. He makes the Patriots a Super Bowl contender. Now, I'm not saying that uh, Sam Darnold's going to make the Jets a playoff team, but could his presence, similar to what Andrew Luck did for the Colts, make them a 6 7 8 team? I don't know if that's the case or not, but what I do know is that they should be better than however many games they won last year with Josh McCown at quarterback. Um. Quickly before we move on, I mean, is there any is there any reason to be concerned or think about the Patriots in this situation? 
We both have no win in this. I, do, I mean, the concern, the, the concern in terms of getting back to the blows Super Bowl. Up, yeah, I mean, the concern with trying to get back into get back into the Super Bowl is that I mean they've lost a lot of guys, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, I want to say they've cut like three receivers. They've lost I want to say like two or three backs. I mean, Sony Michelle was hurt. They they've uh, they've been kind of a revolving door over the last uh, couple of weeks, and they, if there's any team that's been able to withstand that kind of uh, turmoil, it's been New England, that kind of turnover. But um, you wonder, uh, so at what point will they stop being able to find diamonds in the rough at the receiver position, at the running back position? Um, the reason I'm not worried is because they've done it before. But the AFC, I'm, and they also the other reason why I'm not worried is because the AFC is so weak. Uh, Jacksonville is one team that I think they should have to be worried about. But Jacksonville hasn't uh, fixed their biggest problem at the quarterback position. So, Yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't think that it's something to be completely uh, concerned about. But uh, this Patriots run kind of end at some point, <laughs> especially if they were lying consistently on a uh, quarterback in their 40s. And part of me wonders if it might come more abruptly than we think. Like, we kind of think it's going to be, like, this, like, kind of slow decline, and maybe it's not going to be that way. I can't say it's going to be this year, but... um, And mostly because just the division is so bad. But I do think that if there's any way or any chance we see a slowdown, I feel like this might be the year. I just don't know if there's going to be enough. I don't know. I don't know. If, we may see a decline this year, but I don't know if we're even going to know we're seeing a decline because of how bad the competition is. Damn. Like, like <laughs> they, like they may end up winning like eleven games this year, losing to some of these really good teams in the AFC who who are in other divisions, uh, or maybe even twelve or thirteen wins. But we may not kind of see that. Oh, this team is really off of what they've been. Maybe until the playoffs. Because I'm not that high on the Patriots this year. I think that the the tightrope they've been walking with trying to ensure that, okay, as long as Brady is healthy and Gronk plays sometimes, we'll be okay. I think that 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 line that they've been walking, I think that that's going to start to end very soon. Because one of those two things ain't going to happen every year. When they're 41, Gronk is always hurt. And the other guys around them aren't nearly as solid as they've been. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. NFC South, Kendall. Um, I'll go first. I'll give you my storyline. My storyline is, can this be the return of the Dirty Bird? Because uh, the Atlanta Falcons have kind of been one of my de de facto teams I've loved to follow outside of the Jets, especially during these terrible years the Jets have been. And... They were hurt by not winning that Super Bowl a couple years ago. And it definitely carried into last season. Because I look at the Falcons again this year, and I looked at them last year, and I think that you can make the case they're the most talented team in the NFL. Uh, we look at their skill players, we look at the, the, the speed and athleticism on their defense, and yet for some reason they did not play up to standards. And uh, Matt Ryan, who looked like he had figured it out as a quarterback last year uh, without – 
his good buddy uh, calling the shots, uh, Kyle Shanahan, looked very different at quarterback. Um, was he just a product of Kyle Shanahan, or can they get back to playing the ball they were playing when Kyle Shanahan was calling the plays? Um, Julio Jones made it known this offseason he wanted to get paid. And he, he made it act like he didn't even want to be there unless he got paid. They finally got him paid. Will he now play much better than last year? Because last year, the Falcons, for whatever reason, just like the last two or three years, they've been unable to utilize him in the red zone. It's a massive issue. Someone who was his fantasy owner last year, it drove me insane. Because a guy who should be an automatic stud some weeks was an average receiver. Um, those are going to be very important things. Uh if Ryan can go back to playing his MVP level and Julio Jones is more involved in the offense, this this team, I, I think, is, could be the team to beat in the AFC, in the NFC, I mean. Uh, but there's a lot to be answered. I'm wondering what rookie Calvin Ridley is going to do. Is he finally that number two they've been looking for, for to stand next to Julio Jones all this time? I think Sanu's been very good, but they need another dynamic playmaker, and maybe he's that guy. So I'm looking at the Atlanta Falcons. I'm looking at can they uh, can they overcome what was clearly a Super Bowl hangover last year, and it was a Super Bowl hangover from losing actually, uh, and can they get back to playing uh, elite football this year? Because last year I thought it was a disappointment, even though they did make the playoffs and win the game. This is tough because uh, I feel like for me, I think all three of the other teams are very fascinating. Uh, I think with Carolina, um, you know, they've got weapons for Cam Newton uh, that they brought in last year that were very effective, uh, particularly Christian McCaffrey. Um, and can Cam Newton kind of get back to that MVP level he was at? You know, I think they have North Turner as the coordinator this year. And it, so there's some feeling that... Uh, that may be able to get him back to that MVP level. Uh, they drafted DJ Moore, too. Yes, he did draft DJ Moore uh, from Maryland, who they feel like could be uh, another weapon for Camden to utilize. But obviously, I've been I've been high on that Buccaneers bandwagon for, I feel like, the last like, two, three years. I've been throwing them in the Super Bowl. You are the only and one that's yeah, I mean, look, I know you've been a big fan of Mike Evans. Uh, Deshaun Jackson is kind of over the hill at this point, but yeah, he's still Godwin, on the roster. Chris Godwin's the number two receiver on that team now. Yeah, you know, obviously Chris Godwin can play. Um, but, I mean, the GM is talking about, you know, we don't know if James is going to be the guy when he comes back, which, I mean, a little bit of a red flag. Uh, I do think they play on Thursday in week four, Thursday night, so they get feel like he may not play during the short week, but I think New Orleans is the storyline of the division because they were just probably the surprise team in the NFL last year along with the LA Rams, and they, I feel like, have another leap that they can make. Assuming Breeze is healthy and he doesn't fall off the cliff uh, that is probably coming for him, quote-unquote, but if Drew Brees doesn't fall off the cliff and he's uh, still a top five quarterback, still a top three quarterback, then you've got Alvin Kamara, who I think from gone for the first four games. I think Kamara will be 
will really establishes himself. Will really establish himself as one of the five to ten best backs. I mean, he's already a top ten back, but may establish himself as a top five back in the league with the carries he's probably going to get uh, in those first in that first month of the season. You've got Michael Thomas, who probably one of the more unsung stars in the league, one of the more lesser-known stars in the league, but it's probably a legitimate star player at the wide receiver position. And all the talent that we got on defense, assuming that, you know, Marcus Williams can get out of his head after what he did in that uh, divisional round game against Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, he's a player. Marshawn Lattimore is obviously one of the best corners in the game. Yeah, you got Cam Jordan is a beast. I mean, they've got players all all across the all across the, the on both sides of the field, across the board. So, I mean, I think assuming that they don't take a setback and that what last year what they did last year wasn't a fluke, could this be a Super Bowl team? That's my storyline for the new one, for the NFC. Uh, uh, I'll go with my winner here. Uh, this is a tough one. I'm gonna go with the Falcons. Uh, but this is going to be a very brutal division. I think this might be a division where uh, three teams make it again. I also think this might be a division where the top two teams have a lot of wins. Like, this may be one of those divisions where the top two teams, I think those teams would be the Falcons and the Saints, have 12 or 13 wins or 11 wins. And then because of the competition of the division, that third team, the Saints, the Panthers, maybe slides back. Not necessarily because they're that much worse, but just because those close wins you're winning last year against this division, I don't know if you're going to get those wins this year against those two teams. Those two teams, to me, look like juggernauts. So, I'm going to say the Falcons narrowly get past the Saints only because I think the Saints, I think they, they may have a little bit of the issues the Falcons had last year. I know it wasn't the Super Bowl, but that was a horrendous loss that they uh, were handed. It was, man. And I don't think that's a, I don't think that's one loss. I think that loss counts for multiple losses. I think that Super Bowl loss to the Falcons counted for like two or three losses last season. I think that Vikings loss may count for at least one or maybe even two losses this year. They'll rebound because they're they're loaded. But I don't know if it's enough to win the division. Um, let's move now to the AFC South, Kendall. Um, for my storyline is of course the return of Andrew Luck. How's he gonna look? Um, if he is. Uh, still an elite quarterback or close to an elite quarterback. What does that mean for the Colts? Does that mean they're they're a lot closer maybe than we think that they are? Uh, Could this mean that T.Y. Hilton is resurrected? (laughs) Because I thought I felt the last year or so, he's been basically, uh, you know, he's been in the soul gym. (laughs) 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 He's been been missing for the last year and a half since uh, Andrew Luck went down. So does he resurrect himself and all of a sudden he's, uh, he's back? Um, from the snap, because when Andrew Luck went off, he, he disappeared. So, I, I think the Andrew Luck thing is fascinating. Uh, it's been a long time. I, to be honest, it's ironic that the last two major returns that we've seen from quarterbacks have come from quarterbacks who last played for the Colts. Uh, Peyton yes. Manning had a major return where we had no idea what he was going to look like. That Peyton Manning thing was crazy. The Peyton Manning thing was crazy because it happened the same year Adrian Peterson happened. But it was like... Like, it's crazy thinking about it now because we kind of take it for granted. So, oh, yeah, he went to the Broncos and he was great again for, like, a couple years. Then he was very bad at the end, but they still won a Super Bowl. Won a Super Bowl. Right. But, like, we know, like we had no idea what he was going to look like before that season. Like, 
there were some people saying he was never going to play again, and then he was trying to play, and you saw him working out, but you were like, okay, well, what is he going to look like? He had a broken neck. <laughs> like, he may not ever be the same. And to play the way he did, breaking records, he broke the touchdown record, I mean, that was crazy. Uh, and it's crazy now that we come back all these years later, the guy that he replaced, or that replaced him because of that situation, is now facing a similar situation where we've seen it in preseason. I, to be honest, I don't think he's looked that great. Again, I, I hold a lot of, I don't hold that much water in it because it's preseason. But I have no idea what Andrew Luck's going to look like. He was an imperfect player before he got hurt. So I, I think that that's going to be something very fascinating to watch. I don't know about you, Kendall. Uh, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, it goes without saying that I'm interested to see what Andrew Luck looks like. Um, I'll be watching Indianapolis Colts game like so. It'll be fun to see what Lucas Oil Stadium looks like again. See what those uniforms look like on TV again. Um, because I'm not no way will I sign up to watch Scott Tolzine and Kobe Brissett uh, under center in any capacity over the last couple of years. But you were a smart person uh, not to do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, I feel bad for the people in Indianapolis. Uh, uh, but for me, it's tough. You know, I want to go with what will the Jags look like with Blake Bortles. But I'm, that's very interesting because Blake Bortles is probably the most boring quarterback in the league. Uh, so I'm going to go with somebody that one of, is probably most, one of the not the most exciting quarterback in the league, and that is what will Deshaun Watson look like in year two, coming back coming back from what was a major knee injury. I mean, it's a shame that both him and Carson Wentz are trying to come back from this ACL injury. I believe it's the second time Deshaun Watson tore his ACL in college, and now it's the second time he's torn his ACL. And, I mean, he played in the preseason. Uh, by all accounts, he looked fine. Will he... You talk about Dak Prescott getting the MVP conversation. Deshaun Watson was certainly in the MVP conversation for his rookie year, along with Carson Wentz. So, can he get back to that guy that we saw as electric as he was when he got into the league? Because um, if he does, I think that this Houston team can really vie for a playoff spot in a week AFC. I mean, I think they were going to vie for a playoff spot last year until he got hurt and the wheels fell off. Uh, I think Jacksonville is certainly the best team in this division. I think they're certainly both talented team division, on especially the defense side as well, probably both sides of the ball. But Deshaun Watson might be the most dynamic player in the entire division uh, when he's healthy. I mean, Andrew Luck is also... I don't know what Andrew Luck looks like anymore. You know, I can't even... So long ago... Uh, shoulder injuries are, are sometimes tough to really gauge uh, when you've been hurt for so long. Or do, you, do you come back the same player? Assuming Luck comes back the same player, he's better than Deshaun Watson. But I, that's much. I think that's badly. I think that's more of an assumption than saying Watson's going to come back from the ACL. So I, I'm going to say that Watson's the guy that I'm most looking forward to watching this year because I think Houston. I mean, it was kind of surprising for me that Bill O'Brien kept the job. But I do think there was a feeling from Bobby there and, you know, uh, Rick Smith's, not Rick Smith's, uh, Rick Demps, I believe the guy's name is uh, <laughs> Rick Smith. Uh, that Rick, shout Rick out to Smith. the Flying Dutchman. I said Rick Smith. Rick Smith. No, yeah, no, I said shout out to the Flying Dutchman, Rick, Rick Smith. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Because I was like, I was like, no way the guy said called Rick Demps. He reminds me of Double Demps. But, uh, I think the reason why Rick Smith and uh, company kept 
uh, what you call intact was uh, kept Bill Bryan intact was because they felt like what he did with Deshaun Watson kept him a playoff team. Rich Smith, by the way, I forgot left Houston uh, because wife has cancer. I, I don't know to leave reaction. Yeah, his wife had cancer. Uh, Shout out to him. I don't know oh, if he would have kept the job regardless, but yeah, hopefully his wife. I'm kind of glad he got out of that position because there's no need for him to be on the hot seat like that in yeah, such a, like that. a tough time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my pick for this division. Uh, this is a tricky one for me, but I'm actually gonna go with those Houston Texans. A lot, wow. of, this, a lot of this goes down to uh, scheduling. Both of these teams at the top here, if we're talking about their Texans, you know, technically, I guess, the top two teams are the Titans and the Jaguars. But uh, I think that the Texans and, and the Titans and the Jaguars are the top two teams. The Titan Texans have the easiest schedule in the NFL. And I think that that's going to be, obviously, extremely helpful for them. They got, a, hopefully, a full, full healthy year of AJ, uh, J.J. Watt. I know he's not the same guy he was, but I think he's still good enough to get the job done, for sure. Um, Deshaun Watson thing's a big if, but you're telling me you got the easiest schedule in the league, you got one of the most dynamic offensive players, I'm going to feel very, very good about your chances uh, to surprise people this year. Uh, We know about Deshaun Watson, we know about DeAndre Hopkins, and for the Jaguars, the Jalen Ramsey can ball, and I love that he's talking so much. But that was a team that squeaked by a lot of terrible teams last year to that record that they got. I'm not going to say they're going to be the Raiders of this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if they are. Wow. Um, their defense is unbelievable. Their offense is still defense is so loaded, bad. Man. Their defense, but their offense is still so bad, and they just lost Marquise Lee. And Des Bryant's not walking through that door. Leonard Fournette could be better than he was his rookie year. In fact, he probably will be. But this is a league that seems to think that running backs don't really matter anymore. So, I think Blake Borders is still below average. He just lost one of his best receivers. I think the Jaguars take a step back. Doesn't mean they don't make the playoffs. Because that division is terrible. And the conference is terrible. But I'm going to go with a, a surprise pick here. I'm going to go with the Texans. I, I think the Jaguars will win the division. Uh, I don't think they take a step back. I think that they're probably an 11-12 team this year. Um, I think that it will still be, just in spite of the fact that Blake Bortles is below average quarterback, and I think they will continue to evaluate that position going into the offseason next year, assuming they win the Super Bowl. Uh, but I, what I will say is, if you're right, I think the team that comes from behind beats in the Tennessee. Mm. I think Tennessee can still... I think Tennessee could be better than they were last year, and obviously they were a playoff team last year. But I think Mariota wasn't fully back from that leg injury that he had the year before. Uh, Carr... Also had a similar injury and also didn't look as good, but I think they had. I think the Raiders' lack of success was had more to do with other things than him in particular. But I think Mariota 
wasn't as explosive as we normally see him. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him this year be a little more dynamic. Uh, I think Derrick Henry being the guy now will be better for that offense because DeMarco Murray, uh, I think we saw, was kind of a shell of himself. So I think I think this Tennessee team could be dangerous, and they're the one team that they can challenge Jacksonville. I'm just not – I'm not really sold on the two other quarterbacks being 100% next year in Watson and Luck. Yeah, the whole Watson-Luck thing uh, is, is key. I think the J.J. Watt thing is key too. Uh, yeah, I can't forget about this he's guy. Gotta be, he's got to be healthy for this all to work out. I all understand that. But I think that the players are there for Houston. It's just can they be healthy, and the schedule is going to make it easy for them to do that. So I'm going to ride with the Texans. you got the Jaguars. Let's move on now uh, where we got the NFC North, I believe, now, right? Um, yes. I'll let you go first here, Kendall. What's your biggest storyline for this division that includes your favorite team, the Minnesota Vikings? Um, I will – I mean, obviously, Aaron Rodgers being back in the division is a huge story, but uh, screw Aaron Rodgers. This is, this is a Minnesota Vikings thing. So I'll talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I think I think the Vikings, will they be, was what they did last year. I guess, obviously, a huge question. Um, you know, I think, including me, everybody thought that what Case Keenan was doing last year at the quarterback position was a fluke, and it, it was a fluke until it wasn't it seemingly wasn't a fluke up until the end of the championship game, where it seemed extremely fluky, where he looks like the guy we signed to be our third string quarterback. But I know I think that this Vikings team can they take the next step with Kirk Cousins? There are some people that feel like they're the team most prone if they get to take us back. Uh, because they play a tough schedule, obviously, and um, I, I mean, I really don't know the argument for will be bad. It will be bad this year beyond the fact that they play a tougher schedule and that you weren't really buying what we. But I, I think this is upgrade over Casey. I think Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs are legitimately star receivers. I think Adam Thielen was not a receiver that she was last year. And you bring back Dalvin Cook, who that's really the only part offensively I'm worried about. Well, I won't say that's the only part I'm worried about. But that's one of the bigger parts that I'm worried about on the entire team is the fact that Dalvin Cook's come back from ACL. There's some people that are just penciling him in for a 1,000 yards. And I'm still a little worried about that, even though I've seen it with a Minnesota running back before. I do worry that, look, we can't assume that everyone's Adrian Peterson and that everyone's going to come back from ACL and be, like, a monster. You know, I, that's the only caveat that I'll throw out there. Uh, and then on a more somber note, I mean, obviously Tony Sperano passed away, and he meant a great deal to this Vikings offensive line uh, as their offensive line coach. And... Will that offensive line take a step back without Tony Sperano? That's something that will uh, have to be monitored because the guy was the best offensive line coach in the league. And, you know, hopefully the guys go out there and they fight for Tony Sperano because uh, that was, it was tragic what happened to him. But the defense, I'm not really worried about. Defense is loaded. So 
got tired of Smith. Yeah, Xavier Rhodes. Uh, Terrence Newman finally retired, but I don't think we'll miss him very much. And, I mean, the front seven goes out saying with Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin and those guys. Um, for me, storyline-wise, I'm looking at the Packers. It's the return of Aaron Rodgers. That's the biggest storyline. He just inked a massive deal, $100 million guaranteed, $160 million. It was overall something crazy like that. I mean, uh, look, Aaron Rodgers is as good as he gets in the NFL. He's one of the best players in the league. But he has shown to be a little bit uh, injury-prone. And there are some durability concerns for me with Aaron Rodgers. I know his injuries have been a little bit fluky. But he's been missing time over the last three or four years with various injuries, and they just uh, signed him to massive money. They should have done it. I'm not saying they should not have done it. But for uh, a player that has had durability issues, that's something to look at. He's one of the best players in the league overall. I think that there is no quarterback who throws it better than him. Um, if the, the only quarterback in even his conversation in terms of being better right now is Tom Brady. So... Uh, with a full season Aaron Rodgers, how good could this Packers team be is going to be very fascinating. It leads me to a very interesting point in who I think is going to win this division now. So I'll let you have the floor first. Kind of who you got winning? I'm going to say Minnesota wins it again. Um, I, think, I don't think we take a step. I don't think what we did last year was a fluke. Because I think that there's too much talent on the defense side of the ball. I think Mike Denver is too good as a defensive coach. And I think the offense will be improved. I think I don't know. Maybe I'll become a Vikings fan, and I've seen I've seen Vi- I've seen good Vikings teams. Seen Vikings team under Coach under Levy Frazier and Coach under Brad Childress, and been like, this team's probably a fluke. We're Adrian Peterson and we're bust. We had no we had nothing else. The defense was weak. I feel like this team is not reliant on one guy, and at times that could be risky because I feel like. As we saw maybe in the NFC Championship game when we really didn't have anybody to kind of lean on. Uh, but for a right in the regular season, when you have all that depth and talent across your entire across your entire lineup, the only thing I'm worried about is the offensive line. The offensive line falls apart like it did two years ago. This could be an eight win team. But if the offensive line can hold up for seventeen weeks I, I can't see how this is in a 12-13 win team. Because Kirk Cousins, is, I think he's that much better than Case Keenum, that much better than Sam Bradford. I think this division is going to come down to how the Vikings start. Um, if the Vikings can weather what is a difficult start to the year, and I'm going to say that they do, they will win this division. Both of these teams have two of the toughest schedules in the league. The Packers have the toughest schedule in the league, according to uh, last year's standings. Um, of course, they play the similar divisions, so it makes sense that both of them would have tough divisions. But it's based on the the uh, the odd teams that are in their schedules. In fact, Packers had slightly tougher teams, therefore they have the toughest schedule in the league. The Packers have the majority of the tough games in the second half of the season, uh, right around the week eight mark. Really, it starts at week six at home against San Francisco, but then it becomes at Los Angeles, at New England. A win against the Dolphins, uh, uh, then at Seattle, at Minnesota, then probably a win against Arizona, but then at home against Atlanta. That's a incredibly brutal stretch from week 8 to week 14. The Vikings have that tough stretch early in the year, where they start off at home against the, the uh, 49ers, then they have at Green Bay, a win against the Buffalo Bills most likely, then they go at Los Angeles, at Philly. If they survive that and they go 
at least two and three or three and two, they will win this division because the rest of the schedule gets a lot easier. Then they go Arizona, Jets, tough game against New Orleans, then Detroit and Chicago. They should have a lot of wins that they can rack up in that middle of the season period before they get to the race at the end, which has some tricky games in there. Of course, you got New England, Green Bay, Seattle, Miami, Detroit, Chicago to end the season. So I think it's all come down to the beginning of the season. I think the Vikings survive that tough start and they go three and two. If they do that, they will win this division in a tight race. Yeah, that division, though. <laughs> I mean, that schedule is a, uh, it's a gauntlet. I mean, both teams I, got I, it, though. They just come at different times. Like, it could be. Yeah, I would, I, I would not be surprised at all if we started two and three. And that, that's unfortunate. I I'd be surprised if we went one and four, but that's not shocked. possible. That's a tough schedule. Yeah, they they only if they only beat the Buffalo Bills, I can't say I would be shocked. Yeah, like I would be like, yeah, I mean, I'd be a little surprised that they couldn't beat the Niners at home, but everyone Niners and Packers couldn't split one of those games. But like, I mean, I but the Vikings are a good team. They're it's also not out of the realm possibly to go four and one. Not gonna be easy. They can go. They have to be the best team in the league to do that, but. I mean, yeah, they can go on to the stretch. It's, but that when you guys schedule that hard, just anything can happen. And I think that's where I have difficulty. I'm gonna say I'm gonna, I'm gonna lean on that defense and Zimmer and say that they get it done. Uh, and I'm also gonna lean on the war of attrition when the Viking when the Packers go to Week Eight and they have to start playing these ridiculous teams in the middle of the season. That's when you're injured. That's when you're losing guys. That's when things get tough. If I'm the Vikings, I'd much rather play all the teams in the beginning. I know that that can mean your season's over immediately, but at least I'm fully healthy. All, right, all my guys ready to go against my toughest part of the part of the of the schedule. And if I get through that, I could win the rest of those other games. So I'm gonna say that that's, that's the way they find a way to get to this uh, division championship for a second year in a row. Kendall, let's get to the AFC North. Um, this has been a division that's been ruled by the Steelers. They won it again last year. Uh, Kendall, what is your storyline this year? Will Marvin will will be the year that Marvin Lewis finally gets fired? <laughs> no, so, neg- so negative with the storyline of the year. Uh, I mean, look, it's got. I mean, I feel like that's the most interesting storyline in sports right now. We have a, co- a coach that must have some sort of rushing compromise on his own <laughs> because he still has a job. But um, beyond the the will Mike, Marvin Lewis have a job debate, uh, I, I think it's got to be what this whole. Um, what this whole Pittsburgh Steelers Le'Veon Bell situation is? What's going on with that? Um, you know, we have a guy that's arguably a top five, top ten player in the league that is saying that plays for a contending team. That I'm not, I'm not going to play. You know, until you guys pay me. And the team's like, well, then we got James Conner, another pick guy. He's going to be our running back, and got guys on the team publicly calling him out. And he's quitting on the team or he's putting himself before the team and uh, he's screwing them over uh, to put it uh, PG is basically what they're trying to basically what they've said and it's, it's it hasn't been a pretty situation but can Pittsburgh get back from that can they come back from that because this is not an, this is not a hard division but sometimes it's tough dealing with those types of issues and will Le'Veon Bell if and when he comes back Will he even be the same guy without having any training camp or preseason reps? Um, 
So that's something to, to keep in mind. And also just how that, that Baltimore quarterback situation played itself out. But primarily, though, Pittsburgh dealing with the Le'Veon Bell situation. Yeah, Le'Veon Bell thing is crazy. Um, I'm hearing he might not come back to, like, week 8 or 10. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, he just... See, how, see, how like, whenever, whenever's the last time he can come back and get money this year is when he will come back if they don't give him another contract. Yeah. Like, it's it's crazy what's happening. Um, but I don't really blame him, honestly. Uh, he told him last year he wasn't, he didn't want to play under that crappy contract that they gave him last year. That yeah, they, they, they called as well. They tried and, to call as well. And he said, I'm not playing on that joint again. And they like, I bet we'll give you that joint again and see what you're going to do. And he's right now sticking to his guns. So I kind of got to give him credit for that. And the way the NFL money works is kind of the only way you get paid. So it is what it is. Uh, I'm going to pick a different storyline, obviously not to be the same. And you know what? You kind of spoiled it for me because a lot of people are probably thinking well about the Browns. But I'm actually going to go to the Ravens quarterback situation because the Ravens, since they won that Super Bowl, have been spinning their wheels. I, last year, wrongly predicted that the Ravens could be the worst team in the AFC. Um, I underrated how great their defense was. Their defense came around so quickly. Those young players they got over there, uh, and that saved them. If their defense wasn't that great, they would have been one of the worst teams. But the defense was outstanding, and therefore that changed everything. So now that the defense is outstanding, and that's something that we now have to consider when we look at this Baltimore Ravens team, well, they've been spinning their wheels with their quarterback, Joe Flacco, all these years. They just drafted the guy in the first round, Lamar Jackson. To me, he's the developmental guy, the way I look at him. And the way it sounds like they want to use him, that he will be a developmental guy who, in the meantime, will be almost like Cordell Stewart was for the Pittsburgh Steelers way back in the day when he was slash, playing multiple positions. If that doesn't work out as well as they think it might, and there isn't a lot of precedent for that working out that well besides maybe Cordell Stewart. Um, I The last example was Tim Tebow, and that was a complete disaster with the Jets. Yeah. At what point, if this is continuing to be kind of the same season we've seen from the Ravens for the last, like, four years where it's like they're kind of just in the middle of nowhere not really competing for a championship not really they could make the playoffs but if they did no one thinks they could advance um do they get tired of Flacco and say it's time to go young how quickly does that happen or does Flacco turn back the clock and with this improvement and this new weapon the you know is there a resurgence or like you said is there an RG3 sighting that we see this year that quarterback is right now. Three, the two, he's, he's the number, number two, two quarterback. Exactly. So there is a Which is inexplicable. I don't think it's inexplicable only because I think he probably is better than Lamar Jackson right now. Just the idea that he's going to be able to play more than three games without getting hurt seems extremely unlikely. But uh, I, I'm never. I never subscribed to the to the idea of having three quarterbacks. That, that I yeah, I agree. I think they should have traded. Uh, RG three, if like yeah, I mean three times, we probably got a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the way, <laughs> what happened with Teddy Bridgewater? They could have, they might have got the number one pick in the draft next year. More kidding aside, though, uh, I I hear you on that. That maybe they they, they should have moved on. But I think uh, to me, Lamar's a guy who's very raw, and maybe he's not a guy who should be the number two right now. Uh, so, but I wonder with the fans and, and the pulse of that team, if if things look exactly the same the way they've looked. It's a team that with a great defense that offense can't get out of its own way. They're not going to be calling for RG3. 
<laughs> the fans nah. and, and, the, and even I think the people within the locker room, they're not going to be calling for RG3. I don't care if he's number two. They're going to be calling for Lamar. And when does Harbaugh pull that trigger, if he pulls that trigger? That's my story to follow. Kendall, are we both picking the Steelers here? Uh, yes. Yes, we're both picking the Steelers. Yep, I have the Steelers as well. Do the Browns win a game this year? <laughs> that's, that's a dark uh that's the dark question. We didn't mention oh, this. And I think there, there's a lot of things to mention about the Browns. They were an excellent, they were an excellent Harbinox team. They re- completely revamped their roster. So it's not like there's nothing to talk about them. I, I mean, I just feel like no, they, they, they would lose every game last year. So I think I have to ask, will they win? Look, if I if I see the Browns, if I if I think the Browns can lose it, we're gonna go un- winless again, I would put money on it. But I don't feel confident in that day. Not nearly as confident as I felt. The FAU over Oklahoma take last week. That was where I was, was dead wrong. That was an all-time terrible Kendall take. That was one of my worst takes. Man. That was a freaking goal take. Man, they got beat by like forty. That shit was embarrassing. Oh, I didn't even say like, oh, they'll cover. I said like, they're gonna beat they Oklahoma the in the. They got beat by like forty. That was crazy. Yeah, don't do that again. Uh, let's quickly get into get kind of quickly kind of get to the Western divisions here. Uh, let's talk about the NFC West. So this one is uh, my turn here in terms of. Storylines. My storyline is: Can Russell Wilson uh, survive the war of attrition that's happening with the Seattle uh, Seattle uh, Seahawks? Because you start to look around that roster, it's starting to look very unfamiliar. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, there's no Richard Sherman walking down that uh, walking out that walking down there. There's no uh, uh, Cam Chancellor. Chancellor. There's no. Uh, you know, Marshawn Lynch, there's no anybody. Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham is gone. He I mean, was, I, I, he was, I was just there. Man. I'm like, who are these guys? Like, they, they, they are a completely new team. And I don't think it's for the better. I understand. Look, they needed to revamp. I get that. But it seems to me that they might be in an in-between year. Maybe the team next year looks a lot better. But they have a superstar quarterback to me. I don't know how you feel about Russell Wilson. I think he's... Oh, absolutely superstar. Right. Top five Super, quarterback. Superstar quarterback and nothing else. What does that mean in this NFC that we know is hellacious? And in a division that's sneakily getting a lot better. I'm curious to see what that looks like. Um, I think For me, I think it's got to be... Well, I don't know. This is an interesting division. It's very uh, interesting. There, there's nothing to talk about for, with Arizona. I mean, you got Josh Rosen. Besides, I mean, I want to see what Josh Rosen does. Because we know Sam Brown play play for a while. He ain't making it throughout the year. There's no way. Yeah, that's that's true. I think Vikings fans and Eagles fans and Rams fans. Every team he's played for, they know what he's about. (laughs) Oklahoma fans, they all attest to that. When he played in high school, they know he's about to. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I think besides Arizona, I mean, mean, LA's obviously. Talk about, remember how we talked about how, like, the Rams and the, the Chargers were boring L.A. teams. Yeah, we talked about Well, that. I mean, the, the Chargers are still a boring L.A. team. But the Rams are, I mean, we've got all these star, star players now. But uh, for me, it's got to be San Francisco. Uh, you've got Jimmy G, Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Kyle Shanahan who are trying to position themselves as the next great QB coach combination. They're trying to be the next Brady Belichick, the next Breeze Manning. Uh, can they be that? Can they have that type of success in San Francisco? I mean, they're undefeated 
as a tandem so far. Uh, that'll change after week one when uh, they come to Minnesota uh, and take a little beat down from the Minnesota Vikings. But um, if Kyle Shanahan can continue the type of trends, continue the type of trends that he uh, showed last year with Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, San Francisco, I think, could very well win this division. This was a team that, I mean, you want to talk about, like, going all in. San Francisco, they hurt themselves with their draft slot last year. I mean, they were, they were with Cleveland, the worst team in the league. It was them and Cleveland fighting for that number one pick. Then they go out and they get Jimmy Garoppolo. And they all of a sudden, they rattle off six straight wins. And now they're one of the, now they've got like the 12th pick in the draft. So they hurt themselves in terms of tanking, but they should be living proof that tanking isn't all that matters in sports. Tanking isn't all that matters in the NFL, in the NBA, in general, because they made a move that they knew very well could hurt. They could have sat Garoppolo all year and been like, well, he's going to help us win games. That's not, uh, that's not best for business, but they played him. He had the draft slot and look how much better they are for it. Now they know, now people know that this team could be a, a real contender in the NFC. May not contender to win the Super Bowl, but to be a, a, a playoff team in the NFC. And I mean, I'm fascinated to see how this Kyle Shanahan project works. I loved the hire when they made it. I loved the Garoppolo trade. Uh, and I never jumped off the, Sh- the Shanahan bandwagon even when they started off the year poorly because that team had a, a huge cloud over it. Um, with no quarterback, they were still coming off the the Kaepernick thing and Eric Reed, and they they kind of distanced themselves from that with bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo. And now the feeling with that organization is they could be a legitimate contender. I don't think they'll be. A, I'm not. I don't say I don't think they'll be a playoff team. I, I'm not convinced that they're guaranteed to be a playoff team, but I definitely don't think they could be a contender next year. But it's going to be fun to watch, nonetheless. Yeah, I think that I, I agree that they're going to be an interesting team with Garoppolo. Uh, that was a very unforeseen turnaround that happened overnight, it seemed like, when he stepped in. Was it a fluke or was that something that's sustainable uh, moving forward? The McKinnon injury is uh, a crusher for them. They lost, yeah. they got rid of Carlos Hyde in hopes that McKinnon could be the guy. And, then he and I, lo- I love Jared McKinnon in Minnesota. He was great for you guys. Uh, he's excellent. He. he, he help right the ship and Dalvin Cook got hurt. Uh, I loved him when we drafted him, but it's, it's, it was sad to see him uh, go down. Yeah, shout out to him. Hopefully he uh, recovers. Uh, uh, my, I'll go with my pick for this division. I'm going to go with the Rams. Uh, the Rams are really good. <laughs> you know, it's, I know that, that sounds obviously uh, very simple and easy, but I really know the way to put it. I mean, they are a very complete team. Um, the cornerback position, you lose a guy like Tremaine Johnson, but then you pair up uh, to leave with uh, who, 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 I forgot the corner was over there, but I mean, they're, they're, uh, their secondary is great. Their, um, their offense, obviously, with, with Goff and, uh, and Gurley, that's, I mean, I don't know if there's a better, you know, run quarterback tandem, a young tandem in the league that they have uh, for them going in there. Then you add in Dominic and Sue, Marcus Peters was out of the corner. I don't know why I blanked for a second. 
Um, then you add in Dominican Sue to the defensive line to put next to uh, already a superstar in Aaron Donald. This is uh, maybe the best team in the league. Uh, Wade Phillips is an excellent defensive coordinator. We already know what um, uh, what their coach can do offensively. So this is a dangerous team. Brandon Cooks is on the offense now. Uh, McVay and that front office has put together a very, very good team. And a team that I think is in a good division, but they're just so far ahead talent-wise that those other teams won't be able to catch up. I think the Rams win this one fairly easily. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm gonna go with the Rams. I think San Francisco could give them a challenge. Uh, the Garoppolo will put some pressure on them, and San Francisco, I think, could win ten games. But I think I mean, LA is just loaded. I mean, there's no point in you going through everybody they've got. You, you went through most of it, but um, bringing in Brandon Cooks, bringing in Marcus Peters, bringing in Donovan Sue. I mean, it's the team is just seems loaded. So I think they'll win the division fairly easily. Uh, they only get a little bit of a sweat from what San Francisco's doing. But San Francisco doesn't have nearly the talent that, San, that L.A. has. And a lot of that comes with the... L.A.'s got a quarterback on a rookie contract that's top. That's a top 10, top 12 quarterback. San Francisco's paying their guy $25 million. And they, don't, they haven't had a chance to really bring in a lot of talent around them. Whereas L.A. can consistently bring in guys at big dollars because they're not paying their quarterback crazy money. And the one guy they got for him is already out for the year. Yeah, exactly. So that's that, that tells you the, the tale of two cities right there with San Francisco and L.A. Uh, that's the last division we got, Kevin, before we got here is the AFC West. Um, I think, obviously, we talked about it at, at nausea, but I do think the storyline is, of course, what is the Raider error, the second Raider error under John Gruden going to look like. We already know it looks it looks a lot less it looks a lot lighter on the defensive line. We learned yes. that very very quickly. Um, but I do think this is a Raider team that, while we I talked about the issues they had defensively and, and how a lot of people questioned Max impact over the first nine games of the season when they only had like four sacks. Uh, that offense also disappeared. Some of that was from injury from Carr, but some of that also was. Uh, a coaching staff that didn't seem to have much creativity in terms of what they were putting together. And for the talent level they have, it was ridiculous that they were that bad offensively. So Gruden being away from football for so long in terms of coaching, I'm very interested in what his offensive philosophies are now that he's back. Is he the same West Coast scheme type of guy? Does he do different stuff now? What do his teams look like in 2018 compared to what they look like in the late 2000s or when he was coaching the Raiders in like the early 2000s? Uh, late 90s. It's a long time ago, you know? So uh, that's going to be what I'm looking at is what are the Raiders' identity uh, under John Gruden? What is the Raiders' identity under John Gruden? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I mentioned Alex Smith beforehand. Obviously, I think Kansas City will be a fascinating team to watch for Patrick Mahomes, at quarterback, because I have no idea what to expect. I did not expect a lot less thinking and dunking from the Kansas City Chiefs. But uh, I'm actually going to go with the L.A. Chargers, which I talked about how they're, they are an upcoming L.A. team. I mean, they, they shouldn't be an L.A. team, but that's a whole other conversation. But I think the Chargers are, when I talk about them being a boring L.A. team, a lot of it comes down to their, their franchise is kind of no man's land right now. 
Uh, and this could be a year where they can take advantage of what is an awfully weak division and maybe make something of their franchise. Uh, Phillip Rivers is kind of, I mean, obviously he's at the tail end of his career, but he's kind of in a weird spot with the organization where they don't have a successor, but I think they are still actively looking for a guy to be the the quarterback of the future at some point. It may come this offseason, but he's the guy as of right now, and they've surrounded him with some weapons. Uh, obviously, Allen Melvin Gordon is what a weapon. Keenan Allen's a baller. Yeah, Keenan Allen can play. He's come back from his injury and he's been he's been solid. And obviously, Melvin Gordon, one of the best running backs in the league. Uh, we'll see what Mike Williams looks like. He looked very he looked better in the in the uh, preseason. So hopefully, show some signs of life. Hopefully, he can be a legitimate uh, wide receiver next to Keenan Allen. Uh, but they lost Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry, their tight end, obviously. And yeah. Uh, training camp to a torn ACL. Uh, so that was tough because now they have to resort to bringing back Antonio Gates. Um, but this is this is a team that they bring back most of their guys from a team that almost made the playoffs last year. And what was a weak division? Could Rivers and Joey Bosa and Keenan Allen and Melvin Gordon, could these guys make this team a playoff team? I don't think it's, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility this LA Chargers team could be a playoff team. And is that even what's best for business? Because at some point, they're going to have to start thinking about moving off from Phillip Rivers. I mean, again, I think this is going to be a weak draft, especially at the quarterback position. So I don't think that they should necessarily be in any rush to tank or lose games or feel like they got to snatch up one of these guys because there's no quarterback that I would look at in this draft and say, I'm, I guarantee I want to hitch my wagon to this guy. Uh, now there will be in the future, uh, but not next season, not this season in particular. So I don't feel like uh, I feel like the Chargers are in a position where they could be competitive, and it's not really because they're a great team, but more so just their division is really bad. Don't also don't sleep on the uh, addition of Mike Pouncey as the new center too. Interesting. Um, yes, best years might be behind him, but he did start sixteen games for the for the. For the Dolphins last year, I think that that was Gene Cognito's uh, running mate. Yeah, his his, his yeah his uh, his homie. Um, I think that that is a, a a good pickup for them. So yeah, I don't think they're a team to to, to ignore at all. Um, did, did you, go ahead. Did Did you see uh, Richie Incognito wants to run for office? I'm not surprised. Wants to run for public office. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he's been angling that ever since he made his comeback. I mean, we all knew that was. <laughs> and uh, but then like he got arrested. He got arrested already. Oh yeah, yeah. He was he showed like I don't know. I want to say like that because I, I think like he had he like showed up at his dad's funeral, but it was like he wasn't invited because he was acting crazy, and then he like threatened to like shoot the place up, and so he was, yeah, it was a while. Yeah, I know he's but, had some issues. I mean, he's clearly uh, disturbed. Um, yeah. Yeah, there were the contrary because some teams were talking about bringing him in. Yeah, Minnesota at one point, we had they had to come out. Zimmer had to come out and deny that that was even a thing. But I mean, uh, it's, uh, my thing is you don't have to deny that. Like you don't have to deny that there was a conversation because we all know the conversation probably in every team's 
war room that should we look at Richie Incognito? He's a good football player, but, uh, I mean, he's not on any team's roster right now. So clearly we know where those decisions went. So I feel like there's no reason to hide that there was interest. I don't disagree either. Um, winner in this division, this is kind of a weird division. The Chiefs won it last year, like, right? Didn't they win it last year? They they backed in, though. Yes. They won a bunch of games, and they lost, like, a million games in a row, and still, at the end, uh, squeaked it out. Very other team stuff. And in the playoffs, they blew a huge lead. <laughs> it was, like, ridiculous what happened last year. Um, uh, I'm a, uh, this is a weird one. Um, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with the Chargers, actually. I'm going to say that the stability at quarterback, the offensive weapons, good enough players defensively, I think they win a division that you may only, once again, need nine games to win. I think Kansas City is the most talented team in this division. And I think it's really going to come down to what does Patrick Mahomes look like. Right. Mahomes is a deer in headlights, and they can't win the division. Maybe they'll be a 6 7 win team. Uh, I'll, I'll give Mahomes the benefit of the doubt, and I'll say that he looks competent enough, and he opens up a, an area of their offense that they haven't really been able to tap into, uh, and that Andy Reid's probably been looking to tap into. Uh, and I think that this team will win this division. I don't think they'll be very impressive. I think it could be similar to last year. But I think we'll feel much more positive about this team because Mahomes will be exciting be obviously younger. It won't be as much of a pessimistic like this Chiefs, this boring Chiefs team with Alex Smith that have no upside, that can't win a Super Bowl. Uh, I think we'll be more excited about this Chiefs team making the playoffs than we have in years past. Super Bowl picks, Kendall. My Super Bowl picks, I am going with the Atlanta Falcons in the NFC. I am going with the I'm going to go with the Steelers in the... Uh, I'll go with the Steelers in the NFC. In the AFC, I'm sorry. And I'm at the Falcons winning it all. I believe that was actually my Super Bowl pick last year, too. I believe it was. Yeah, but I think that's what I'm going to go with again. I'm going to say the second time to charm here. I get this one right. Yeah, I believe my pick last year was uh, Patriots Bucks, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it was. Uh... I'm gonna go with Bucks in the NFC. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say it's gonna be Vikings Patriots. Okay. I think the Patriots, just by default, man. I mean, the, the Steelers are missing their best player. Uh, are you their best player? I would say Antonio Brown's their best player, but their second best player. And Jacksonville doesn't have a quarterback, so those are the only two teams that they could possibly make a Super Bowl in the NFC. Or the AFC. And so I think New England will make it. And I feel like in the NFC, I mean, NFC can be any of those teams, really. But I think, I think Minnesota with Kirk Cousins takes a step forward rather than a step back. And I think they can make it to the Super Bowl this year. But I, I have New England winning. Let's get Kendall's port and let's get out of here. What we got? Kendall's court, EJ. I teased before the show that uh, to you, EJ, that I have some college basketball recruiting to talk about. 
And this is going to be, uh, we're going to New Jersey because uh, Brian Antoine, a five-star top 10 player in the country, shooting guard out of New Jersey, uh, just committed to what was a fairly big surprise in the basketball world, committed to Villanova over Duke. And this kid, Antoine, was seen as, was widely seen as a Duke uh, lock. I mean, lock's always a strong word in recruiting, but was very much a Duke lean and uh, very much surprised people that he decided to go to Villanova instead. And this now, the reason I want to talk about this because I wonder, and for people that follow, that, that follow college basketball recruiting, it sets up two interesting storylines. First, the positive with Villanova. Um, obviously, they're coming off their second national title in three years. And if you follow the way they've been recruiting for this upcoming recruiting class, they're in the top three or four for about four or five five-star prospects. And whenever... And anybody that's followed recruiting over any period of time knows that when you're involved with that many guys, you're going to get somebody. You're just the, the numbers suggest you'll get somebody. You'll, you'll get probably multiple. They already got Brian Antoine when they weren't supposed to. Mm-hmm. So, so clearly, Jay Wright, there, I mean, there's a, there's a narrative that maybe Jay Wright has <laughs> decided, uh, you know, that you know, some people say, oh, we got to do things the right way and recruit four stars and three stars like Jay Wright. But clearly, I think he. He wasn't doing it as a complete choice, and that he feels like he uh, now he can get those guys a little easier. But um, I definitely think that it is an interesting shift for Villanova because they've had those they've had their successful guys like even Chenzo and Jalen Brunson and uh, you know Mari Spellman, guys that weren't necessarily McDonald's, I mean, Jalen Brunson was all American, but guys that weren't one and done prospects. Right. Uh, Brian Antoine is absolutely, is, is absolutely a one and done prospect. So um, that'll be interesting. Uh, this is how Villanova and Jay handle the success and really what is now a status of being a blue blood program in college basketball. Will they now dip into that one and done market? And how long will they even last? Because the one and done rule isn't going to last very long. Maybe that is Jay Wright's mindset. That look, the one and done is going to be gone in a couple of years anyway. So there's no point. There's, there's no point in me not going after a couple of these guys, knowing that it's not going to cripple my program uh, when it's gone. Um, and then the other side, real quick, is that look, Duke. There, there. This may be the 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 chink in the armor that people have been waiting for to see from Duke because. Obviously, because of the recruiting class that they've had that they had last year, that's on their squad now this year with Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish. That I mean, people assume Duke was the new Kentucky, and that I would say it's pretty fair to say they are the new Kentucky, uh, and that they become the new one and done pipeline. Then all of a sudden, Jeff Capel decided he was going to go and take the Pittsburgh job. To be the head coach, and now all of a sudden there was there 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 were there was always going to be questions of how is Coach K going to be able to recruit without Jeff Capel, who's obviously their best recruiter and their lead recruiter. And as we've seen right now for the 2019 class, they have no commitments. Uh, they're still very much in the picture for, for plenty of 
top ten guys. I mean, obviously Cole Anthony is a guy that's very much looking at Duke and uh, Isaiah Stewart, big man from New York, uh, from Rochester, New York, north uh, upstate. Seems like he's a. It's also a very much a Villanova versus Duke battle. Um, for a long time, I would have told you kids a lot to go to Duke. I mean, up until last week, I would have told you kids probably a lot to go to Duke. But after seeing what happened with Brian Antoine yesterday, makes me wonder if it's you can't say anybody's a, a Duke lock right now without Jeff Capel. So um, that's just something to really keep an eye on. Duke will still get guys because they're Duke. Will they get like the top three guys in the, in the entire recruiting class like he did last year, or was that a product of having Jeff Cable, who's an elite recruiter? I mean, I've heard rumors and speculation. I, I would say beyond speculation, I've heard rumors that Cole Anthony is seriously considering going to Pittsburgh. Exactly, that's exactly where and, I'm going. And I mean, that's I don't think that's any fluke. I don't think that just because he wanted, he loved the, the Pittsburgh basketball program. I think it's because they have a legitimate recruiter that used to be the guy that got all the best guys to go to Duke. Yeah, I think that fact he named Pittsburgh in his list. The list was expansive. Somehow St. John still didn't make it. But, <laughs> um, but, it, but Pitt was on that list, and I did perfect eyebrow because all the other teams made sense. Uh, all of them are all power teams. Miami is Miami, so that makes sense. And Georgetown is uh is Patrick Ewing. So uh all those like, teams made perfect sense and then I saw Pitt and I was like and Wake Forest is a little weird, but we, uh, we know the Danny Manning connection. Um well, I saw and of course Oregon's Nike. But everyone saw Pitt and I was like, uh I was like, Oh, Jeff Cable is there. I said, Yeah, team that won no games in their conference. That don't make no sense that the best player in the world wants to play for them, best high school player in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that the whole thing with uh with with K and and Cable being gone is something to look at for sure. Uh, this is the first recruiting class we're gonna see, and already we have a, a seismic shift in, in 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 the recruiting landscape with Antoine going to Villanova. So, in terms of the Villanova, so that's interesting. In terms of Villanova, uh, I'm a little interested in this because you know I I did believe in Wright's thing about the whole recruiting Villanova guys and that. They kind of sucked for years because he lost his way in doing that. He just started recruiting McDonald Americans, and they weren't good guys, uh, guys for the program. This seems like a shift from that thinking. <laughs> so, um, has, well, I will is he making the same mistake again, or is he deciding that I can actually get better players than I was even getting before, and I'm not going to turn these guys what, down? I don't know. What I, I, I will I'm say curious because he seems to be very about. adamant about how he'd been doing it previously was working, and him getting back to it is why they've been very successful recently. Yeah, what I do know about Brian Antoine and his, his high school and AAU teammates, Sally Lewis, who will also probably take a strong look at Villanova, um, who's also a five-star, that both those guys seem to be cut from a cloth that isn't... It's not necessarily like the guys that they used to bring in. And it's more... I mean, these guys were... I mean, these guys have, like, Harvard and Stanford... Duke on their list, like they're a different type of guy. So, sure, I it seems as if I don't think Wright's selling his soul to go out and recruit Brian Antoine. I get it, yeah, or recruit Scotty Lewis. So, I think that that certainly plays a factor. Uh, real yeah, quick, though, I also think it was ridiculous that Cole Anthony released the top 12. I mean, 
you're 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 at the stage of your recruitment. You can't. There, there, I mean, there's no legitimate way where he's considering twelve school. Yeah, you can only take five official visits anyway. Yeah, I agree. We don't need to see a list as well. We don't need to see that. Yeah, I don't need to see it. If you have a list of twelve, I don't want to know what it is. <laughs> Just you can have it internally, but I don't. I don't, I don't care for your list of twelve. Like, I'm a Notre Dame fan. I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to think about me making making this list? Because I know I'm eleven or twelve on this list. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. So like, what? What? Like, what am I supposed to even? Am I supposed to be happy? I, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. It, it was kind of ridiculous. And we'll be more ridiculous that he, like, a couple of days before he announced his list, he was like, uh, I'm going to announce my list, uh, on, like, <laughs> on Sunday or whatever it was. He was like, we have an announcement to an announcement of an announcement. Yeah. Like, why are we announcing when you're going to announce your list of schools that you're going to announce where you're going to go to? But I mean, look, that's what that's what high school sports has become now. Yeah, it's all become a show, a circus. Yeah, this is where we are. Um, if you if you thought that him being the son of a old school NBA veteran was gonna be any make this any different, boy, were you wrong. (laughs) It's gonna be just like every other uh, prize recruitment that we've seen recently. I don't think this Cole Anthony thing is gonna be settled for a long time. He he's gonna be the last dude that commits probably. This is gonna be something that goes into next March. Yeah, I can't wait. He's at twelve. <laughs> you know, I I can wait. This joins. Me. Yeah, exactly. This, this, this is gonna yeah, be I terrible. This whole thing. Okay. I hate this thing. <laughs> and, um, I hope he. Oh, I mean, you have no shade to him. I'm not even dissing him. It's just the process. This is what it is now. These guys. This is what they do. And they let the whole playing field shake out, and then. Kind of like what Zion did, and they see what happens. They all right. This is where I'm gonna go. I think that Cole's gonna do the exact same thing. Look, it's and it's a smart play for him to wait. It is. That's why he's gonna. If he does, if he likes the attention, he doesn't care about getting constant attention. I mean, what? I mean, these teams are all gonna hold a scholarship for you. Absolutely, they're all gonna hold a starting spot for him. So what's the point? They will cut someone to make sure he. Yeah, to hold it to to create a spot. So, I mean, there's no point in rushing. The only the only benefit you get from rushing is you won't get constantly get asked where you're gonna go to school. Exactly. So, and you already told the people in New York. I mean, you left New York. But you already told the people in New York you're not going to St. John's, so you have no local pressure of saying. So it's like there's no point really of rushing to make a decision because, uh, like, you're gonna there are all these all these options will be there in March when you have more information. To determine your decision, I would never rush a guy. Now, if you're a four star, if you're not, if you're not Cole Anthony, and you want to be the point guard at Duke, I would suggest you sign ASAP. That spot's not going to be there when Cole Anthony decides to sign with the team. Exactly. Um, that's where we're going to wrap the show, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to check out all of our shows on New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, this is kind of a big week for us. We did this NFL preview show this week on Sun on uh, Saturday or Sunday. Keep your eyes out or ears open for the Jenny Award Show. If you listen to our Hero Talk Show, that is where we give out our yearly awards for the greatest achievements and performances that we saw in all superhero television throughout the entire year. So again, Jenny Award Show. 
will be up this weekend. We did a nominee show last week. So if you guys want to try to, you know, be prepared for the show and know what we'll be uh, announcing during that show, and the winners will be announcing, make sure to check out the nominee show, which is on New Generation Podcast Network. Once again, on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook, New Generation Media. Follow us on Twitter at New Generation Pod. Follow us on Instagram at New Generation Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at EJ underscore Stewart and on Instagram at Action EJ. That does it for now. We'll be back next week with more sports talk. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Peace.